Hello. Hey there. It's me. <clears throat> Good to hear from you. Yeah, sorry, it's the uh, it's the old mic quality. That's fine. That's yeah. okay. Not a big deal. I was like trying another thing. I was like, oh, this is great. Hey, it just broke. Hi everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Edrick. And I'm Ian Boothby. Hey there, Dave. How y'all doing today? <laughs> why, why, me, the city slicker, I'm doing quite well. Well, I'm just going to say the stars at night are big and bright here. And there's a reason that I'm uh, doing this dumb accent. <laughs> is that why? There's a reason why you're drawing? Why is you I'm, draw- I'm, dra- I'm drawing. Uh, it's been a long pandemic. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm drawing. Okay, here's what I'm going to say to you. This is up- what happened to your accent? Because I'm talking to you as a human. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay, um, sorry. I was doing a I was doing a Texas accent. Yes. All right. Uh, it's episode four sixty nine. Yeah. How is that relevant? What it, connects those things together? It's the four hundred and sixty or the four hundred sexiest episode. Well, sure, we'll go with that. Also, it's the area code in Texas. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yep. Four six nine. Yep, I'm going to start judging all of our episodes now by uh, where were the area codes for. <laughs> Good, I'm we've glad. Had, we've had an area code, uh, a Dallas area code show before. Mm-hmm. That was 214. I see. And we'll have another one in nine, uh, 972. But for now, uh, we are smack uh, dab deep in the heart of uh, Texas uh, with 469. Well, I like your optimism. I like also, uh, 69. Nice. You can also do that one. <laughs> yep. If we, if we care to. Yep. You, yeah. you say 69, and then you go, <laughs> yeah. and, and also, yeah. that's right. Woo. Uh, virtual high fives back. Uh, I was, I was going to say that also last episode, which we had with, with our friend Nina came on the show to talk to us. That was very nice. Actually, I sounded just like uh, Donald Trump there for some reason in my weird leaving off half a sentence. Anyway, oh, if you want to sound like Donald Trump now, you got to just say, uh, don't talk to me that way. <laughs> Today, today was the day he did that and had that. You respect me. I'm the president. Okay. Guys, stop talking to me that way. Shut up. <clears throat> well, that's the other thing to think about is 469 is the most sacred number. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. But... Yeah. It's the number of the sexy beast. <laughs> the sexy beast. Good yeah. movie. Good movie. It's played, yeah, it's played by Ben Kingsley. Yeah. One of those things where you're like, is Ben Kingsley scary? No. Is he just some little actor? Yes. Is he in a movie where he's scary as a gangster? Yes, he's really scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird how scary British actors can be as gangsters. That's, yeah. Like, you know, behind the scenes are all like, oh, darling, da 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 you know, they're sort of royal Shakespearean, uh, you know, getting, but uh, so that sort of lovey uh, stereotype of, of British actors. But as soon as you get him on stage or get him in a movie playing in the tough guy, and there's nobody scarier. Well, I mean, you know, they've all had to do the Shakespeare, and so they've yeah. all had to stab their best friends and you know and have <laughs> their wives with nothing to them hands. yeah yeah you know they're used they're used to it so it's you know it's old hat to them so <laughs> I the whole standard i guess so yeah. yeah it's just funny how they can really like it just feels like they could just they will hurt you yeah you know like when when you have an american play a gangster sometimes they can be scary but often it just feels like a guy's acting like a gangster you're like oh he's doing a good job acting like he's a gangster that's really good whereas british actors it feels like did he like was he in a gang was like Daniel Day-Lewis in a gang? Like, I, I don't... That's weird. Yeah. I think, like, you know, the time I've spent in England, you kind of feel like... Because uh, the pub culture there is so strong. Uh, they know how to get into a pub fight, too, if they need to. 
so you know or they've also they'll go to you know uh, a football game for crying out loud yeah and they'll uh, start beating each other up yeah the fo- football, football games are scary game, too yeah the most you know it's like oh did you get all like excited at the football game <laughs> like the slowest <laughs> thing ever and you're like yeah rage okay don't show them curling they'll lose their minds uh but yeah there's that inherent uh uh, violence that you feel is below the surface called of, called uh, yobbishness yeah there you there you, you can you can say that sure i, I just I did don't i just know did. what that means so i can't <laughs> there was in private eye one of my as i've said before a favorite magazine of mine when i was growing up as a as a uh, anglophile there was a little um, three panel uh, strip every every magazine called the yobs and there would be like two skinhead thugs who just did whatever sort of yobbish things um that would be good, I, by the way, if oh, you had like a, a redo of the X-Files, but it took place in England, and it was just two Americans that were there. They called the Anglophiles, and they're just fascinated huh? by everything. Sure, yeah, that's, that'd be good. Like, there's a, there's a ghost in this house. Oh, what is a this? great house. What is this oh, thing covering the teapot? This is... Yeah, what is this? What do you <laughs> yeah, it was just by the telly. Why what do you have a cloth thing over your teapot? This is... What's going on here? What? Oh, that's <laughs> fascinating. Love it. Yeah, they just uh, every aspect is fantastic. We're gonna have tea. <laughs> Did you what, know that you have a uh, two different taps for your hot and your cold water? Like, how do you get a mix of them? This doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, do you know British people have sixty-five words for uh, queen? <laughs> the band queen. Yeah, the band. Just yeah. the band. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I'm just gonna see if my wife just walked into the room or if uh, we have a ghost. Oh. Did you just walk in the room? Okay, good. All right, that's fine. <laughs> you, it doesn't mean you don't have a ghost. This meant she walked in the room. It'd be funny though if we were doing a little bit about a ghost, and then all of a sudden a ghost walks in the room, and that's like real awkward. And I'm like, I'm trying not to keep going with the bit, and you keep going with it. It's like those stupid ghosts. Like, yeah, you know, hey, ghosts are so dumb. Why are yeah, they always wearing yeah, sheets? Like, oh, ghosts are dumb. They're all some, some ghosts are really smart. Like, well, why are they dead then if they're so smart? Jesus, I'm trying to be cool about it. It's really awkward. Well, I think the idea of ghosts hanging around is awkward anyway. It is. You're not wrong. Like, you know, there's things you want to do in private that you don't want watch other people watch. You don't want other people watching you do them. And this is a mere idea. There's some guy standing there watching you. Here's my problem. Although, to be to, on the other hand. That's pretty egoistic. You know, it's pretty self-centered of me to be thinking that a ghost really cares about me taking a poop. So he's going to be like standing and watching. He's just like everyone else. He's going to be like, ugh, forget this stuff. Well, what, you know what, what's on TV? A lot of people die on the toilet. Yeah. So, you know, that might be his unfinished business. <laughs> it's just, he's hoping, finally. Like, finish, finish for me. Finish for me. Like, There's the right. door. There's the door. Yeah, make sure you keep it shut. I died of shame. When oh, sorry. I meant he could see the door to go to. Oh, that to door. pass on to the to the next world. But first, before you go through that door, please wash your hands <laughs> and, and shut the door after you. Yeah, shut the. Oh, yeah. Don't leave the door open. Ugh. <laughs> Embarrassing. Coming out now, you got Hitler in the room. It's like, oh, Hitler. What's he? Well, I guess he's in the afterlife. You're not really specifically saying where. It's yeah. a sort of. A, it's a sort of a. A neutral egress that it could go either direction. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it's just yeah. The yeah. Door. Okay. The door. the door doesn't judge. Sure, sure. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Man, we really went off another place. But I was going to say that last episode, the one we did with oh, Nina. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, episode 468 was uh, officially our ninth, our ninth, our ninth. We're in nine years now. This is this is. Uh, oh wow. That, so it's. I think that's how it works, right? Because wait a second. 
Oh my gosh, no, we still have a couple more shows to do. Oh, I forgot that it's... Uh, no, no, wait. Wait a second. How does it work? I used to think about this stuff, but now I can't. Because we did... So we did 450 shows. We did a 450 show. And then another 18 shows on top of that. Shouldn't that be... Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because that's nine years, right? So nine times two, because it's 52 weeks in a year. So mm-hmm. we do 50 shows. So so nine... So 450 is nine... You know, anyway, it doesn't matter. This is officially, last last show was officially our, our nine years in. Okay, well, co- first, congratulations. Congratulations uh, to you. Thank you so much. So I was looking up then um, uh, what we should expect in a nine-year-old, uh, you know. <laughs> okay. So okay. Um, a growth spurt, perhaps. Oh, a growth spurt. So All right. Nice. want to expand into sure. other podcasts. We'll see. Sure. Uh, we might be showing signs of puberty, uh, showing, you know. A uh, nine? Yeah. Uh, I guess if you're. Early yeah. signs, yes. Yeah, I guess signs. if you're... I do remember... Uh, this is going to get a little disturbing for people who might... So just bear with me for a second here. But when I was a yeah, yeah, kid... Yeah, who you think the sexiest nine-year-old. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that. But it's just that, like, um, when I was a kid, I was... We would go every year up to Soyuz for our vaca- family vacations. And so I made friends up there. And one night we were, like, sleeping out in the boat rather than our individual motel, motel rooms with our families. And... Uh, one of the boys said it would be hilarious if he pressed his his testicles against the the, the mo- boat window over top of me. And so, of course, with complete horror, I looked up and I was like, oh. And then at the same time, I was like, oh, he's got hair. Huh. Because I, I don't. That's interesting. <laughs> so I, just, I always remember that. He was the same age as me, but obviously a little bit more advanced. Yeah. The same thing when uh, we went to uh, Evans Lake for some, I think it was grade six or something. Yeah, seven. grade six. Yeah, grade six yeah. we went for our... our yeah. yeah. And uh, and so yeah, we ended up like showering together, and uh, and yeah, there was one who was like, "Oh, you're uh, you're ready to you know move on into the work sector, it seemed like, <laughs> and uh, far beyond the rest of us." So yeah, I was like, "Oh, that's gonna happen." Ugh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't like the idea of it. I remember my friend getting hairy legs, and uh, I was still was you know a boy, so I still had you know my late gossamer, youthful you know this hair there, and and then. Uh, I was like, oh, man, poor, poor, I'm not going to name his name, poor him and his hairy legs. Oh, thank God that'll oh. never happen to me. Then a year later, oh, hairy legs. Yeah, I was around that age. I was watching a movie and I think it was like, could have been called, uh, I want to say it was Quicks, uh, Breaking breaking Away, I think. Oh, the bicycle uh, movie? Yeah, the bicycle movie. That's a good movie. And one of the opening scenes has the cyclist shaving his legs. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad uh, told me I can never do that. Like, for some reason, he just looked over at me like I was I was thinking of doing it. And he was just like, you know, and he, he kind of threatened me a yeah, bit if yeah, I did it. Yeah. It was one of those things, like, every so often in my youth, uh, my dad gave me some random, like, anti-gay threat. That would just be like, well, that, first of all, that's not going to help. And <laughs> I'm saying to him now from the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, uh, We're taking the time, yeah, yeah. You know, just very, very strange. But I was just like. Oh, well, if I shave my legs, my dad will be mad at me. I have since shaved my legs maybe five times. In my life. You, and, you uh, said many, then you said five times. So is many well, five? Is many? I, is five times many, or is that just? I think, I think so. If did you, you pull it back the, a little bit? First, you were like bragging. People, and then you go, "How many people you killed?" I go five. You go, yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> no, that's a lot of people to kill. I don't know, if, but I, I don't know because you started off. You went like this. You went, "I've done it ma- five times." Yeah, you know. What? So it felt uh, like you. It felt like you were going somewhere, and then you kind of pulled it back a little bit. 
Yeah, you know, if I was to say I've had uh, five brain surgeries, you'd go, oh, that's a that's lot. That's a lot. Surgery. That is a lot of brain yeah, surgeries. Yeah, thing, right? yeah. And I got a new brain put in each time. <laughs> You'd be like, that's, that's cool. Yeah, many. I would say you're correct. So if it's something, yeah, I've got to go five times. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence. You know, uh, some were for work and some was bored. And I, was, I had a razor. Okay. See, see, see where this goes. Huh. Um yeah, yeah. Maybe one was like, "Take that, old man." I don't know. <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> okay, another another thing. Uh, oh I'm yeah. Going to expect a nine-year-old. Yeah. Uh, may insist on having their own way, but is still able to listen to reason. So that sounds like us. We might. Uh, that sounds like we might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've come. We've come full circle. Yeah. Because we went through a phase where we were, were we wanted our own way, and we were not willing to listen to reason. Mm-mm. You know, that's quite a that's quite an extent. So probably about a twenty year period that I went through yeah, that. And you, and phase. you kept singing that like, you can go your own way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's nice. I mean, you've got a lovely voice, so I don't mind that. Oh, thank uh, you. Here's, here's another one. Uh, may yeah. act unreasonable or rude yeah. when things don't go as planned, mm. but is able to recognize behavior and apologize. I see. So that's a that's an improvement over like a six year old. Yeah, yeah. But I think that does sound also like a podcast. That sounds right. Like <laughs> sure. I think our podcast is yeah, kind of yeah. So what you're saying is you you misspeak, you kind of let your inner thoughts come out unexpectedly, and then you got to walk it back. Yeah, and then fi- sure. and finally uh, another key emotional milestone. Yeah, speaks out peers to cope with uncomfortable emotions, but is able to rely on own resources. So what, I don't think so. Yeah. Did you say? Did you say sorry? Speaks out? Did you say or sneaks out? Se- seeks. Oh, seeks. Seeks out. Seeks, uh, seeks out peers to cope with un- uncomfortable emotions. So yeah, I'd say so. Like we've really? uh, talked through uh, uncomfortable emotional things on the show. On this and, show, we uh, do that. Yeah, I think we have. No, no, I agree with you. But it's weird to think. I don't remember as a nine-year-old seeking out peers in order to express my my secret my secret emotional frustrations. Oh, this, or is a, this I think is nine-year-olds now. Oh, okay. I would okay. say more than nine-year-olds back when we were. Yeah, kid, yeah. Okay, because then yeah. nine years that would be like you know carefully represses all feeling. Right. I mean, yeah. you and I were fighting in World War One when uh, we were at that. <laughs> so uh, it was just a nice uh, break for my job as chimney sweep. I don't think that's a. Oh man, that that makes me think of a movie that even I uh, Eve was already watching it, but I kind of came in near the end of it. She was watching a. There's two interesting things about it. One, one was that it was it was a re, sorry it was a remake of of um, Room with a View. Okay. Do you know that movie with Helena Bonham Carter? Uh, I do. I don't think I've and, seen it. And um, had uh, Rupert Everett, I believe, was in it. That sounds, that sounds and, right. And then um, another Rupert. Julian Sands. Julian Sands, that's right. And there, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as well. Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith, yeah, yeah. It was quite a good cast. And um, it's a really good movie. But anyway, so they did a remake with a bunch of people I didn't know. But it, w- one thing that was interesting, it had Rafe Spall in it the son of Timothy Spall, the British character actor, who was okay. also in the show playing his his father. So he, it was kind of a fun bit of casting there where the father was cast as the son's father. So that was kind of neat. But uh, but the movie was, was very weird in its tone. So it seemed to be bringing out a lot of... Because, you know, E.M. Forrester, who wrote A Room with a View, was, was gay. Of course, a closeted homosexual, because that would, would have been illegal at that yeah, time. I think, I think he, had, he and I had the same dad, yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, yes. I think everyone had that dad at that time. So he uh, he was closeted. So like I don't like I I think I've read the book. Like I do remember reading the book, but I do not. I don't remember the book now. And I've seen the film, the the original film, the Merchant Ivory film with 
Helena Bottom Carter, etc. A couple of times. So that's more kind of more fresh in my mind. And I don't remember there being like, in either the book or the movie, there being like a kind of a, a suggested homosexuality for some of the characters, which I didn't mind in the show. I thought it kind of deepened some of the characters in an interesting way. So for instance, there's a, there's a vicar, um, the Reverend Beeb, and there's a scene where the boys are stripping down to go and it's kind of a famous scene in the movie where the boys and the and the vicar strip down and go skinny dipping in this in this kind of local in this pool in this kind of natural pool in the in the woods and then they have sort of an adventure where they're running around chasing each other and having fun and then the the women are going on, on a nature walk and they come upon all these naked you know naked men running around in the woods but anyway which is quite it's quite hilarious in the film of course and then uh but in this version, the the vicar's kind of eyeing the boys in sort of an uncomfortable way, like, I really want to look at you, but I know I shouldn't, so I'm not going to, but still, I'd like to, and I'm kind of looking, but I don't think I should, but... And I was, like, I was watching that, I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's a different sort of take on that character, and I don't remember it being in the book that way, nor in the movie, but that's interesting. But then there's a couple other things, there's, uh, there's like some makeout scenes between between Raceball and the, and the, the, the lead actress whose name I, I don't know, and... And one thing happened and I went, I said, what is this written by Andrew Davies, that old horn dog who wrote like the kind of sexy version of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth that everyone loves so much that I find a little over the top. And, uh, and then it turned out it was written by him when we were watching the credits, but what was really weird. What was so weird in the movie? So it goes from, it goes from this like repressed woman finally able to express that she loves this guy, even though he's from a different class than her. Once again, something I don't remember from the book or the movie, but they've added it for this version. You know, fine, whatever. So, so even though this guy's like kind of like a commoner or whatever, and she's, she's not like royalty, but she's like upper middle class and he's, he's lower class or working class. His dad like is the successful businessman, but they have an accent, right? A different accent than everyone else. And so then, um, so it goes from the, her admitting that she loves this guy, smash cut to them naked in each other's arms <laughs> in back in Italy. And you're like, oh, okay. That's when I said, this is written by Andrew Davies, that old horn dog. But anyway, so then, uh, then it's... By the way, it would be great, it would be great if, like, you were in a relationship. If you could just have a smash cut so you wouldn't have to, like, have all the awkwardness. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, thank God for the smash cut. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just, if, if the smash cut well was... It would then fade slowly till morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. thank you. I need a nice fade till morning. But if it's not written by Andrew Davies, it smash cuts to you laying in bed, both of you kind of disheveled, and you've already done the deed. Which, you know, I don't want to skip the deed, so I don't know if I'm into that smash cut idea. Right. Unless, of course, you know, it smash cuts, and then all of a sudden you're like dead. Like, what? Oh, <laughs> well, funny you mention that, so it smash cuts to them having having a good time and then they talk a little bit and and romantically roll around in the sheets which for some reason make this incredible amount of noise like like as if they couldn't they just didn't have the money to like do do a bit of fully so like they roll around in bed and it sounds like someone's like dragging a a sail off a sailboat and then so there's that and then it smash cuts to the guy dead in world war one it like it's like a crane or like a crane shot or whatever, and it kind of slowly comes down to the soldier lying in like a muddy patch and, on the ground at night, and there's like explosion sounds and stuff like that, and it keeps coming down and coming down until it goes right down onto the guy's face, and then you're like, oh, that's Rafe Spall's character, he's dead, oh, oh, that's too bad, and then and then it cuts from that back to to the girl, and she's sad, laying in bed, sad, and then she gets up, and then she goes for a a trip day trip with an with this Italian guy that she met her first time in in uh, the city, I think it's. Florence they were in I can't remember what city it was now but and then uh and then they well they 
are clearly are like on the verge of a of a budding romance, and that's when the movie ends. And you're like, hmm. Well, one thing I know is that the original Room with a View knew when to stop the movie. <laughs> it's always good when you're adapting something. Always know when to stop, because sometimes things will work really well in a novel, but when you take that, you know, take that and then put it into a movie, it doesn't play the same way. You know what I mean? Okay. So, like, in that instance, you know, where you have all these, like, really heavy emotional things happening, but they're just, like, cut to after you've already peaked your movie. Like, your movie's peaked. You already had, like, your 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 two actors coming together romantically, you know? So you've peaked. Your movie's done. Like, that's it. You're Everything else is like a coda. So then you don't go, oh, it's a coda. So now let's have, like, some really heavy emotional stuff where the guy dies in the war. And then we cut to the woman picking up with another guy later on. And then the movie ends. You're, you're like, well, huh, I guess that's a thing, but it's not great. That, that what? I don't know what, I don't know how to feel about it. Cause you're, you're not like, you're not really invested that much in, in the character that when he's dead, you're like, oh, this is terrible. You're more like, what? <laughs> what happened? And then when it cuts to her and she's like talking with the Italian guy and you're like, okay, he was like a minor character at the beginning of the movie, but I really don't remember him very well, but okay, this is, this is happening now. Sure. But it doesn't need to. Just end the movie. But anyway. Just end it. You hear, you hear us, Andrew Davies? End the movie. That's <laughs> right. I, uh, Quit I writing, you old horn dog. I looked up uh, Andrew Davies' Wikipedia page. There's yeah. like three things. One, his yeah. picture. It just looks like, don't don't take that picture. That's not the picture to use. <laughs> like, it's clearly a publicity picture. Okay. But it's a bad choice. Okay. okay. Picture. He looks like Emperor Palpatine <laughs> on vacation. You know, he's a little more relaxed. He's not just scowling, but he's taken off the hood. Yeah. Put on a nice cardigan. Sure. Um, and so, but yeah, he's definitely, uh, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a great picture. But I noticed that he's done adaptations of War and Peace and Les Miserables. Mm. And I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's his thing. Those are hardy. So, those are hardy books to, 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 uh, you edit, you take a bit out, you add a bit. You, yeah. Oh my gosh like so much work so i imagine i imagine in andrew davies version of les miserables jean valjean has uh, sex with the bread oh yeah everyone yeah just like just, yeah, full on, uh, american pie big uh, baguette <laughs> well i mean come on that's what they designed the baguette for don't fool yourself that's why everyone is walking around with a bag sure when you see the francis like, that just oh, seems like really, that just seems really like boasting like to me well no you don't most of us are perfectly fine with a bun i don't think you need yeah, a baguette yeah, well, to yeah. Well, you can then like break it off when you're done. And throw that <laughs> oh, I see. Like, okay. At least a couple. I didn't. Uses. I didn't realize it was uh, economy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's that's that you know, makes more sense. You know, sure, sure. I mean, you can't go to the shop every day. I'm yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Like, no, the hey, guy, who's the bread fucker here? They'll get suspicious. Oh. If you go to the bakery every day, they'll think you're fucking the bread for sure. They'll think you're yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. crusty lad as they call them. <laughs> a doughboy. Or a bun wench. <laughs> Uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll yeah, have sure. suspicions, and then they won't let you have any bread. So you got to be <laughs> it totally, totally makes no sense. Buttons for you, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, good. You know, I'll just he take also, a No, you won't. Get out of here, you. <laughs> he he also did a version of uh, Sense and Sensibility. Yes, he did. That, that really plays up the uh, the affair between um, what's his name? Oh, I can I can hear Kate Winslet crying his name but i can't i can't think of his name now oh anyway it doesn't matter but anyway the 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 affair between that character of the the romantic character and then when he 
he had like he has like an affair with a with a woman who he, who he, a young girl who he impregnates in the book, and of course that's the that's the scandal that gets him uh, gets him um, disinherited, and when he breaks off the the relationship with uh, with Marianne in the in the book. I want to, uh, but they really ask... play it up in the TV show where you get you get this really sultry scene of of two actors and in, in, in you know slightly disrobed getting it on. Yeah, sense and sensuality is what you get there. Um, but what's weird is I, jazz music's playing. It's it's what? Sorry. I said what's weird is jazz music is playing. But anyway. Oh okay. <laughs> did they invent jazz back then? Yes, uh, that's what they remember? that's what they did. Oh, that's interesting. Yep, the um, Regency period famous for its jazz. Hey, hey, Charlie. Oh, man, I almost remembered his name and then it disappeared. It's your cousin. Listen to this. Like, oh, it's jazz. Why you, you, you're way in the past and there aren't phones. Like, yeah, man. Just trying to do a bit. (laughs) That's right. No one called out Bob Newhart. Yeah. Let me just say real quick that uh, seeing Sense and Sensibility makes me regret when I worked on Street Sense that we didn't do Street Sense and Sensibility. It really bugs me now. I bet, you, been, I bet you it bugs Louise, too. This is the thing, our friend Louise, yeah, who's yeah. like the main writer on the thing. It's like, how did that never happen in all the years <laughs> that there wasn't a street sense and sensibility? Probably no one thought it was a good idea to, to do a Jane Austen I guess so. Okay, so, Dave, I'm going to ask you to vamp for about literally 30 seconds while I move a heater into the other room because my wife is making masks right now. And oh, I want her okay. to, uh, to be warm. She's yell, yelling at me, no. But I'm gonna. I can't quite hear. You're her, gonna do so. it anyway. You're gonna do it anyway. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna tell you that Sense and Sensibility was my my first Austin book, which I read in uh, college. So, but for whatever reason, I cannot remember the name of the main character. Louise, help me out. Or not the main character, but the 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 second the second romantic lead. Or uh, all done. Okay. Shut up. <laughs> Thanks. I, I'm terrible at I'm terrible at vamping. No, it's so. fine. Uh, no, Pia's uh, making some um, some some uh, more masks because uh, she she heard that you should uh, you know update your masks every uh, few months. Oh, is that right? Uh, okay. Yeah, so so that's what's going on. Some are getting extra layers. Some are getting new. But we're uh, getting some new masks tonight. Although although we were already doing it, we got a we got a um a mandate from head office to. That we now have to wear masks at work. Well, that's what my dad was trying to avoid me getting. Was a, a mandate. <laughs> Speaking of which. That's fine. Uh, yeah, but you got a mandate from head office, so you were wearing masks already. And then he said, mask up. And yes, said, they said mask up. We said, yeah, we're already, we're already doing that. Because so, we've been doing it for a little while. It was a few, it was me and a couple other guys there. We, we just sort of had a talk amongst ourselves and we decided that We'd be more comfortable if dealing with customers if we were ma- wearing masks. So, yeah. so they so it, it was agreed upon, and we so we bought some masks. So we have like a, some boxes of masks there to put on. But what was interesting today because of this new uh, head office, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, I call it a mandate. But that's not the word I was originally looking for, and I was trying to find it again. But anyhow, this new this new commandment, <laughs> they uh, sent us masks, some cloth masks to wear. So so that's good. It's on their dime. So I like that. But the problem. Is is that apparently these masks were tested by the office staff, who were very small-faced people, ah. and so this mask, if if I wanted to go over my nose, which I do because I wear glasses, and so the only way to like not have your glasses fog up is to pull your pull your mask up to the bridge of your nose, and then put your glasses over that onto sort of the 
the tip of your nose. And so that keeps the, for the most part, it's kind of difficult when the air, when it gets cold out, like now, because then you have like more, there's more vapor, because there's more, you know, obviously more condensation happening at coming out of your mouth. But so it's a bit more tricky, but it's the best way to like avoid your glasses fogging up. But the problem is these gla- these not glasses, but these masks are so small that when you pull it up to your nose, then it goes up your chin. And so it rides up on your chin and it feels weird that it's a sort of sitting sort of, I don't have a cleft chin, but if I did, it would be kind of sitting on the dimple of my chin. But, oh, sorry. Sorry, everyone. That was Sounds me. Sounds almost like was a my face fingers. thong. Dimple of my chin? Yeah, a facial thong is what it's sounding like you're talking about. Oh, a facial thong. I thought you said that sounds like a fake song. Yeah, it sounds like a fake song. It does. Dimple on my chin. You know, that big hit from uh, the 1950s. Yeah, it was sung by Perry Como. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking Shirley Temple, but yeah. No, Shirley Temple was not singing songs in the 50s. Hmm. (laughs) Wasn't she? Wasn't she doing anything in the 50s? She was doing a little bit of acting, but her career kind of kind of petered out by that point. Yeah, she wasn't quite at. Where did she end up? The UN was she doing? She became well. She became a politician. She she was, I think, a congresswoman. Right. And then she 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 was a dictator, I think, for a while. I think she ran Cuba (laughs) for at least three years. (laughs) <laughs> That's why everyone wanted to go there. Yeah, and then uh, and then Castro said, uh, "That's enough for you." And she went, I'm gone, and she just tap danced away. Sure, sure, she did. Yeah, she was charming. No one wanted to have her executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I could see. Oh, I see. You wanted. You wanted Shirley Temple to be singing because she had a dimple on her chin. You know, she's, yeah, she's yeah. But I don't think dimple. women. I don't think women. I don't think it's a desirable feature. Dimple. It's dimples when you smile. To have like the smile dimples for children, yeah. that's that's cute. But I think it's more more manly the the, the chin dimple, kind of like the Rock Hudson or Cary Grant kind of cleft chin. What's that? Oh, so Perry Como isn't singing about the dimple on his chin. He's singing about I'd like a girl with a dimple on her chin, like what? that. No, that I don't even. On. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I would think that he's singing about that because he's got a very strong chin. That's uh, well, yeah. I'm not looking at. You know what? I stand corrected. I'm seeing like a couple of pictures of them. Yeah. One definitely does have that cleft situation. Yeah. So it, yeah. Yeah. It could be a dimple gone wild. <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I, dimple, I think that's, I, yeah, it doesn't matter. A cleft or a dimple chin, I think that, I think they're both kind of the same thing. Okay. Although maybe a dimple is formed by like facial motions. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm, at, uh, I'm around nine years into this podcast thing, so I'm able to accept new information. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I'm glad that you're able to do that. Like the other day, I I finally learned what a monolith was, and I didn't know what it was for a long time. Because they found that, well, they thought they found a monolith. They kept calling it a monolith in Utah. Utah, yeah. Well, as it turns out, people have been, it's been there for quite a few years, or a few years. and uh, Since before time itself. No, no, no. It's just been there for a while. Because people, there's like people from a year ago who have pictures of themselves at this site. Right. Because it's always been there. Well, no, it find was... a picture of somebody. Find a picture of somebody at that site where it's not been there. If you, you can't do it. if you, exa- you do it. if you examine yeah. it, I thought you were going to learn new things. If you examine it, you, it's it's a uh, some pieces of stainless steel that have been riveted together, mm. and on the ground you can see like saw marks where they saw it into the rock in order to insert it down into the rock. Okay. Because you can't just like pick it up and take it away. Although they're going to take it away because they don't want people going out there. Okay. Well, let me just say whatever. That's that's one possibility. Yeah. Now, possibility number two is sure. It has existed since the dawn of time. Okay. And when... Uh, yeah. Man, man might alloys, but anyway, okay. Yeah, and every so often, someone notices it. Yeah. And then uh, the monolith has to provide a reasonable explanation for why it exists. And and so you see things 
uh, tricks the mind into going, oh, there's some rivets. I can clearly see at the bottom it's been inserted in here. I do not fear it anymore. I will not, you know, I will, I, 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 it's now out of my mind. But and the monolith continue to But here's the, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. The, it's not a monolith. It's an obelisk. Because a monolith is a naturally occurring formation, rock formation. Okay. And that is not a rock formation, nor is it so naturally occurring. So are you occurring. telling me then? Yeah. Okay, well, now, now this is a good point. Yeah. So the monolith in 2001, is that a monolith? Yes, because it's, it, well, it, it's called the monolith, so I, I assume what they're saying is that it is a naturally occurring shape. Okay, that's... you say it's called the monolith. Yeah. But who in 2001 calls it the monolith? Does anyone call it that? I think in the moon section they call it the monolith, right? When they're, mm-hmm. they're examining the one on the moon that they find? Okay. All right, someone does call it the monolith. Fair enough. Um, but is it a monolith? Like, because it was, you know, we don't know its origins, really. Uh, but I assume it was, it's it's natural as far as the universe is going to. So if it's naturally occurring, it does qualify as a monolith. That's the thing, yeah. So the idea of it, I mean, in the movie, the idea of it is that it, it heralds the advancement of, of mankind, right? So yeah. we, So the ape sequence, it heralds the creation of weapons, you know, which gives... And then in the next sequence, it heralds the beginning of space exploration, and also the, and then the final final appearance of it in the room at the end of the film heralds the creation of the Superman or the you know the next stage of human evolution. Yeah. Thus, that is why thus spake Zarathustra is playing over that section. The um, there's a let me let me give you a bit of trivia here. Sure. You might know this. What Jack uh, now Jack Kirby adapted 2001 the Space Odyssey for Marvel Comics. Okay, okay. He then created a character. Uh, I'm doing Jack Benny for some reason. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, That's fine. I like uh, it. He then created a character, yeah. a superhero, yeah. uh, that got his powers from the monolith oh. later on. They, okay, okay. Uh, downplayed that and took took that away. But uh, Is it uh, the guy I'm, with the f- kind of furry face? Like the uh, circle of the circle of hair around his head? No. Oh, okay, darn. In fact, no hair at all. Oh, really? No hair at all. That's right. So I'll give you that much. This, um, the, also, the scary, the scary egg-looking guy. He's not an egg-looking guy. Oh. He looks uh, human-ish. Okay. Uh, but I will say he was drawn. I know you liked the comic he was in. This was like later on. Uh, but it, when he was drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, Robot John, Man? Robot Man was... Uh, Machine Man, yes. Oh, sorry, Machine Man. Sorry, Robot Man is a different character entirely. Yes, Machine Man. Yes, that's right. Oh, that Barry Windsor Smith uh, miniseries. That was very good. Yep. So Art, uh, Art-wise, so, anyway. So, yeah, uh, he, uh, he he got sentience, I believe, from the monolith and uh, is a creator, uh, you know, is creating him and he got sentience. And uh, Machine Man removed his self-destruct chip <laughs> and uh, and try and wanted to be independent. Yeah, and wanted to be uh, uh, human. So he so, was, yeah. in other words, he was nine years old. Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, cool. he was exposed to one of the one of the monoliths. I guess there's multiple monoliths. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it uh, made him all uh, human like. Cool, cool. You know, actually, I was thinking uh, when you're reading that stuff about a nine year old. Is I had a book. I still have the book actually, but when when the girls were when Mary was born, a friend gave me this book called A Child's Body. And that's what it does basically is it take it tells you the changes that will happen as as your child grows and develops in physical changes as well as 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 uh you know I don't want to call it psychological or or mental capacity whatever you know like okay whatever you want to call it, whatever the neck the your brain capacity how how you think and how you learn and stuff like that as as you change as you grow older your ability to reason and to 
to figure things out and understand shapes and things as you develop all those skills. So that you could go through the book. So it was kind of fun. Like when the girls were little, I would like peek ahead to see what was coming. Pretty soon they'd be able to. <gasps> oh, <laughs> it's quite fun. Spoilers. And then it also does like it also shows like the physical changes too for men and women. So you know like puberty. You know what's coming coming down the. It is. It is kind of nice. It's and yeah, it is nice. I mean, I never. To be honest with you, I never hated any single stage of the girls' lives. Do you know there's no there's no time where I'm like, oh, I couldn't wait for that period to end. Like, like the terrible twos you didn't find. We didn't have the girls didn't have terrible twos really, so I never experienced that. And I I love changing their diapers. I wouldn't. And when I say that, I did. You know, there's times like when we went over to my mom's or to my mother-in-law's, and they wanted to change their diapers. I was more than willing to step back and let them do it. But it didn't bother me to change diapers. It wasn't like a thing where I'm just like, oh, this is the worst job ever. No, it was fun. It was a, you know, it was fun. There's times where it was not fun when like they pooed and it went up their back or whatever, but you know, we've all been there. We've, well, you have, you just don't remember it. <laughs> Thank God. Well, and if you do remember it, I'm sorry that it happened to you that when a time when you could remember, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, so I, I, even though I was like peeping ahead, I still, I still loved each part of where they were in their lives, you know? And you know, and what's great is that the next phase is so exciting that you don't really miss the last phase that much. As, as they get older, like where they are now in their lives, I do miss. <laughs> I do miss them being little. So I'm what I'm saying is I'm ready to be a grandpa. But uh, I do miss them. Um, I do miss those times when they're this little girls, you know, and I could hold their hands and walk in a store with them and stuff. Would you rem- <clears throat> uh, when you were uh, you, okay? So say they're like thirteen. Uh, yeah. Would you remember yourself at thirteen, see them at thirteen, and go, "Oh, I get this." Like it feels like no being thirteen is like my thirteen. Because I'm just gonna say, just from nieces and nephews. Yeah. I, I, I like I know how dumb I was at, at a certain <laughs> age, and I look at them and just go, "They seem smarter than me." Yeah. They seem yeah. like 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 mm, boy, like they they're much more on the ball. Also, they have. Uh, I, I do want to get back to. You. To, to your daughter. No, no, it's fine. Let's, take, let's take, share. Take let's share. My way. Uh, like I see them and I go like, oh man, they're much kinder than I was. Like mm. they got much more empathy, much more uh, social awareness, you know, and uh, and and what have you than uh, than I did. Maybe it's just the times that uh, we're growing up in. But uh, yeah. yeah, it seems very very different. But uh, yeah, back well, back to you. Well, they had, they you know they had different parents than we had. You know, just like our our parents had different parents than we had. You know, like. You know, in some ways, I've talked about my mom, my mom being kind of cold as a mom and stuff like that. But, you know, like she came by it honestly. Like my grandma was a really cold person. You know, like she was not a warm, hugging, you know, she was a, she was a, what's the word I'm looking for? She was like a, she was like a mother. She was a person who liked to like take care of you. She wanted, she wanted to cook for you and stuff. That's how she showed her, her love for you was by cooking. But she could not say she loved you and she would never hug us, you know? But she would cook for us and look after us. But she wouldn't, you know, she would never say anything like that. That would just that was just not how she was brought up, and that's not how. So my mom grew up in that situation, you know. My mom, and I imagine my dad too that they grew up with parents who, you know, were the product of stoic, par- you know, stoic parents who learned, you know, to, you know, just to get through life the best you can. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. And so, yeah, I mean, every every generation, I guess. And I agree with you, like the girls, to me, the girls seem so much more on the ball than, than we ever, than I ever did. But to be, to be f- fair to me, um, you know, we brought them up that way, 
you know, like we taught them and we encouraged them, you know. So like when I when I turned 16, I really wanted to get my driver's license, you know, because I was 16. That's what you did. So, you know, I had to like cajole my mom into taking me to the the drive the driving place to get the information I needed to do my my learner's exam and and then you know then you have to like talk her into taking you there again or I, I think I ended up taking the bus there and you know writing the exam and then and now you can learn to drive you've got your permit you know so so then my mom's going to teach me to drive and so the first thing she did was she took me to to a mall with a really busy parking lot mm. and wanted me to drive around in there like yeah. oh that's exactly right like I almost hit a car because I had no idea what I was doing and then my mom got all mad at me. And then she wouldn't teach me anymore, you know? So what, where, what's, what's, that's not helping me. Whereas with the girls, you know, we like, you know, as soon as they were 16, we drove them there. We got them the papers, the stuff they needed. We, you know, we drove them back again to write their exam. We, we taught them ourselves. We got them lessons. We got them, you know, they, they went and did their tests. When, you know, when the year was up, we got, got them off their end as too quickly as they could. So they become a full-time driver because... The longer you have your end, you're not building up a good driving record, you know? So it's important to get rid of your end so that you start to build up, you know, your safe driving so you can keep your insurance down, etc. And, uh, you know, I think doing that, though, that, you know, you're teaching your children the importance of follow through, of doing what you need to do, of being on task and th- stuff like that. Like, you know, my parents never did those sort of things for us. And I f- kind of feel like, and I don't didn't want them to do it for me, but I mean, they didn't. They didn't encourage us that way, you know, like my brothers were more on the ball than I was because I was a good boy. You know, I was the oldest son, so I had to be good. My brothers could be jerks. So they would steal my mom and dad's car and drive it around. And that's how they learned to drive. Why did you think you had to be good? Because that's what I was taught. I was taught I was the good boy. I mean, I had to be good. I had to be a model for my brothers, right? I still get that for my mom. Like I still get in trouble for my mom for the, the pit, you know, the, the bad parts of my brother's lives, you know. Okay, because I was going to go like your brothers are in their forties and fifties. So oh no, I still get blamed. I still get blamed for stuff. Oh yeah, no, oh. my mom still holds holds my my uh, middle brother all his the woes that you know, and he's had many of them. And my, you know, and it's all you know, it's not great. But oh yeah, whenever I go there, at some point, she'll be like, "If only you had been nicer to da 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 da." You know, <laughs> we were brothers. Yeah, that's not your job. We were brothers. Like, of your, course we fought. Your gig. Yeah. We were brothers. We were like just a little over a year apart in our age. We like shared friends. We yeah. like, you know, we fought over everything. That's just who we were. So just, yeah. uh, just curious, do you, do you uh, think she's in any way right about that? <sighs> well, intellectually. That's all that matters, really. <laughs> intellectually, no, I don't think she's right about that. Okay. Emotionally, emotionally, <laughs> exactly. I forgot about this part. Emotionally, <laughs> though, I do feel, you know, because you cannot help. Like it doesn't matter how wrong someone is in your life. If there's someone who you love, yeah, then you want to please them, you know. And so, you know, even though intellectually I can be like, no, that's not my responsibility, you know, like, you know, nothing to do with me, blah blah, you know, <laughs> or not, you know, or not shouldn't say nothing to do with me, but not, you know, not. His his choices that he made in his life were his choices. Like, I couldn't make those choices for him or stop him from doing what he wanted to do. You know, like... Right. Now, wait a second. Let me just ask another question. Sure, sure. Uh, does she blame herself for, for for where he ended up at? That's a good question. she's blaming you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, you know, I would say... raise him. Yeah, yeah. But, like, this was actually her job, was to raise, mm-hmm. raise this job. So, I would so, say... Um, 
Just to add. Also, also, like, who is more to blame? You or her in this scenario? <laughs> to her. To her, well, I think I would be more to blame. Because my mom, ah, my mom worked. Yeah. Although a little while ago, she said she wished she hadn't gone back to work. And wished she'd been at home more for us. And I think, think that's... That would have helped? I think that, that would have helped a lot. Especially with my younger brothers. Because when my mom went back to work, they were still you know, in elementary school. And so I think that really kind of hurt them not having a parent to come home to and stuff like that, you know. Because you do need some stability, you know, when you're growing up. And a feeling of, a, you, you know, when you come home just to a ho- house that's empty of, of mom and dad, like, that's not so great, you know. Also, you're in that dangerous uh, period where uh, you're bored. Yes. You know, you really, yes. there's not much you can legally yes. do. Yeah. Right. Like you can't at that age, you know, you're not a little kid, so you're not going on a play date and you're not, uh, you know, you're not able to go out and do too much on your own. So, you know, in that weird air, gray area, where mm-hmm. it's like, but you're also full of hormones and energy. <laughs> it's a big mess. Yeah. And, yeah. And then uh, let's take away the supervision and see where those dice roll. Let's make all the wrong decisions. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no right to say, like, you're not going to go, like, let's all do some charity work. <laughs> no. I'm but I mean, even. Local soup co- kitchens. But the, thing, but the thing is, even in your, like, your regular life, like, you know, you, you haven't been, you haven't been taught good habits. So you don't have good habits to, to draw from when it's, when it's time for you to make your own choices, you know? So you're still making bad decisions, even though, even though you're in your twenties and you yeah. should, you should know better. Not, not that you're entirely, you know, on the ball, but you're, you should be like doing better in your twenties than you were in your teens at making, making correct decisions, you know? And, you know, sometimes like parents don't understand like how, how influential they are on their children. Like you might think that, oh, my children don't listen to me, but they do. They, they take in everything you say about them and, and everything that you've ever said about them is held deeply in their hearts, you know, and you affect how they see themselves and how, and how they act and how they, and what kind of decisions and choices they'll make as they go through life. And so, you know, if you teach, if you, if you just, you know, like I've used the example before of my mom and dad, like, you know, giving us a chore to do. And then when we're done, they would redo it the way they wanted it done. <laughs> but that isn't, that's not teaching your children anything helpful, though. It's not, it's just, you know, so for me, like, you know, so my mom and dad, I mean, when I, when I was in grade six or something like that, I think I, I think I wore it one time for that on the show, but, or not on the show, somewhere anyway, it was a shirt that said I was a procrastinator. It was like made some sort of joke about being a procrastinator. But the thing is, why am I a procrastinator? Why am I a perfectionist? Could it be because the things I did were never good enough to my parents so they would act, redo them in front of me when I was asked to do something, like sweep the floor? So I would sweep the floor as a eight-year-old would sweep a floor, which isn't great, but that you asked an eight-year-old to do this. And then right. in front of the eight-year-old, you go, that's not how you do it. You do it like this. Sweep, adult, sweep, 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 sweep. You know? And then what do you learn as an eight-year-old? I am not good enough. I have to be better, you know? And also, if I do this thing, I will be judged for it, and I will be judged as a failure. So why do I want to finish it? I don't. So I'm just going to put it off, because what you don't finish, you don't get judged for. And so that's not a good thing to teach your kids. But And you might not mean to be teaching them that. You might just be thinking, you know, oh, he's having a hard time with the broom. I'll just give him a hand. I'll, I'll do it. But what you've done is you've kind of undermined this person, right? So yeah, there's things that you do as a parent. And I mean, I'm not excusing myself from this because I will be, I will more than admit that I made mistakes raising my daughters. And I think they're great people, but I can recognize where I failed as a parent, you know. Well, I don't know if failed is... <laughs> well, failed, I, you know, I'm not going to... Fail is too extreme. Yeah, maybe too failed. Where, where I, 
where I messed up or where I, where I, where I misjudged things that maybe I should have put more, 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 you know, sort of underline their importance more for, for the girls. And yeah. And, it was, you know, and it's also hard for a dad raising girls because you aren't a girl. So your approach to life is as a boy, you know, and so you, you approach things as a boy, you know, so you, you eat like a boy, whereas girls eat differently than boys do. You know, so I, I think I overfed the girls when they're growing up. They eat through their noses, right? Is that <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what, I didn't realize that until I saw them put their fa- their nose in the soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. worried about that. Like, I was like, are they aliens? Like, no, that's just how girls eat. Okay, then. So, yeah. So, I kind of, I kind of when they were little, like, you know, they overate. And that was entirely my doing because I, I was feeding them as if they were boys, not as if they were girls. You know, is that in any of your books? <laughs> no, that seems like that I don't should know. be chapter one. It should be, but I mean, you can't think of everything, right? So yeah, it's just it's there's little things like that. It's yeah, it's not a major failure. I mean, my my girls are like the best people in the yeah, world. But I, I mean, I'm looking at like you know, let's take what you, your mom thought with you. It's like and now just imagine because both both of your daughters turned out great. Mm-hmm. But like imagine one of them uh, became a, a, a car thief. Okay, let's go with that. And I don't mean that about you. Just mentioned <laughs> your brother stealing cars, so maybe not that. A uh, bank robber. Son's a bank robber. Would you? Would you ever like think, oh, your fault? If your sister had spent more time with her, she would be uh, robbing banks. <laughs> uh, no, I would never. I would never. Yeah, I would never think that yeah, way. How, That's how to me is crazy. crazy. Is that? That's just a crazy you know? thought to me. But yeah. Yeah, it's just like you never have a thing like and, and like listen. Any movie that you have ever seen, any, 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 any movie, I don't care how preachy it is, like 1950s, you know, it starts with a teen, he's on trial, and it's the sad parents, yeah. and, you know, and it's the judge who's just like, I'm throwing the book at you, oh, I'm getting <laughs> life in prison, and it's like, oh, jeez, I wish I'd made some different choices, you'd never have someone lean over it was the brother's fault. He should have spent more time with them. That's the problem. Not enough brother support. Never. That is never the theme of any movie ever, ever, ever. Well, no I guess how they are. I guess you've so never heard of Cain and Abel, have you? Well, that was more of a well. There, by the time that was trouble, there was only one brother. Right? I don't even know there were brothers. That's true. He's getting blamed for murdering his brother, not for not not raising yeah, him properly. It's not like the other brother. Maybe the other brother was supportive. Just like, I like to try murder. Try it out on me, bro. Yeah, I know it's uh it's it's strange. So um yeah, that's you know, but that's part of why I was a a good boy, right? Was that I I was the oldest, so I was given this idea that I was the model for my brothers to follow, right? So I had to be really good at school. So that they knew how to act in school. Like they knew, you know, have to do your homework and you have to da da da. Although my parents never like pushed us to do our homework. Which is really okay. Yeah, never, never. Like, like I would do my homework. I would do it in front of the television because I was I wanted to watch Monty Python later. But I never. In fact, it was really funny to me. I was talking about to um, the girls about this. I was talking to one of the girls. Maybe it was Eve. Maybe it was Mary. Anyway, I was just saying like when we lived in in Coquitlam before we moved to Delta North Delta. Um, my last my grade six, this girl had decided. This is without my knowledge. But looking back on it, she decided that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm. I know that now. I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought we were friends because she was a neighbor. Like she was a neighbor. Are we? Our, our yards uh, connected, so we were playmates from very young. In fact, I helped her family move into their house. I don't remember doing that. But mom said, 
but she couldn't find me and she walked around looking for me and she found me like helping these people move into their house <laughs> some <laughs> boy little four-year-old boy just giving him a hand carrying the lamps into the house and all the expensive sure. you know the china the ming china and all the and all the vases i'd carried all that stuff for them and um yeah so at grade six we became like friends and so you know we we would play together and stuff like that and i remember like the first time that we ever like hung out after school we walked home together and i went to her house and then i was like time to play and she was like oh no i've got to do my homework first you know i because her parents made her do her homework mm. so part of the rule was do your homework and then you can go play so i was like what <laughs> you have to do your homework like i'll be honest right now i in elementary school i never did any homework at all like never never ever did i do homework like if I, stuff I didn't finish in class never got looked at again. So, so I was just like, "What?" But I was with her, and we were friends, and so I just did my homework just to get it over with, so that you know she'd do hers, I'd do mine, and so I actually started to like improve as a student and do really well. And I was like being very like you know organized and studious and everything. Not not a not a you know a, like in grade five I would purposely forget to bring books back to the library so because the teacher hated me he would send me home to get them to get me out of class and so i would just intentionally do it because it's like oh i get to walk home and get a book and bring it back again <laughs> aces so uh so yeah it was uh it's just weird to be like doing homework and stuff right but then we moved and then all that stuff fell away again and i just went back to my slovenly slovenly uh study habits but it just kind of like, makes me laugh because who knows i could have had a completely different life i could be uh who knows what doesn't matter but um yeah, it's just, it's just, uh... But you would have had to then given up all the things you did when you were... Yeah, I know, I, I never... Like that's hours on hours that lead into <laughs> days on days. That you, all that stuff, everything you did, anything you drew, no, anything it's you fine. read, it's anything fine. you... It's fine, because uh, I would rather, I'd personally, I'd rather been drawing than doing homework, which yeah, is what I basically did go. anyway. Well, I've got a strong memory of uh, going to junior high school for the first day or something. Mm -hmm. There was some sort of, like, thing where you, you had to bring back a newspaper. And it was like a newspaper, and part of it was like how long you should be studying. Okay. And it was it basically was like you know uh, well you should be studying when you first start here at like grade eight. It was like forty five minutes, an hour. and then the next year you should be studying an hour. And we're working our way up to you know you should be studying an hour and a half a night. <laughs> and uh, and my parents were like yeah that sounds I mean that's the minimum. I remember them saying that that's the minimum. <laughs> and and I was just thinking. That's nuts. <laughs> That's too long. That's entirely too long. Yeah, I agree. Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was also, I think, like you know, practicing some instrument or something. So I was like, you should be practicing an hour a night with your piano. Or I was like, oh my god, <laughs> no, what? There's no time for TV. Yeah, and I've got a bedtime. I've got to do. So this is, you know, yeah, I did not care. I did not study. I just didn't. I didn't study. You know, I'd be like. Oh, what is it? Mm, well, I'm just trying to remember it in class. And I did good enough. <laughs> exactly. I was the same. I was the yeah. same. Because it is, you don't have that. And also, like, if I could have, where I did best in school is when things happened. I remember a couple of times where a teacher just gave me, like, a booklet of stuff to do at my own speed. And it was great. Like, I just loved doing it that way. Like, just get it over with. Let's just finish it. There we go. Done. Yeah, I was already, like, leaning into, like, I always kind of consider it the discovery of Earth 2. And it's like going like, you know, there's another world out there <laughs> where you could just go and do comedy and do shows and uh, do uh, do other things that's unrelated to school. 
and the, it, the two worlds need never know of each other. And it's like, yeah, I just want to like live on Earth too. So the most, uh, whenever possible, I would take a bus to Vancouver, which is Earth two. And you know, <laughs> I, I, I say in the past, sneak into the CBC or go see movies or you know uh, do a show or do theater sports or do something. It was like Earth two. This is the place to be. You know, and then you'd go just do the bare minimum in Earth one. You know, so I don't get like kicked out of school. And yeah, I just get all these like disappointed uh, glares from my parents about <laughs> you know what a slacker I was on, on that side of things. But I was doing quite well in, in Earth too. Yeah. Um. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna live in Earth too. So honestly, I don't mind burning some Earth one bridges. That's fine. <laughs> this world's gonna blow up at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'll just go live on the other other one. Yeah. Did it blow up? No, it didn't. Uh, uh, you know what? I don't know. It's weird when I go back and I, or, uh, yeah, I don't want to get, I don't know. And maybe it's worked out for people who, you know, studied hard. Some, some of them it did. Some of them it did. And for some sure. Of them I know did study hard and it didn't work out great for them. You no, know, it's like, yeah, I think they went with the party line and, uh, I don't know. I Not think, so. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's what you, how, what you, sorry, it's how you learned how to study, you know? So if you learn like rote, rote study like just re rehashing and repeating what you learned you'll find it very hard when you move on from school like you'll find university very difficult you know if you learn to think creatively then you'll find uh university life a lot a lot more you know more copacetic as he used to say and it's just because it's such a it's just a different way of, of learning there right like it's so funny like when you're in school and you're learning the 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 one three one par- uh essays style right and they just make such a big fuss about it and you have to go and write your 131 essay as you know to as part of i think part of grade 11 maybe part, part, part of grade 12 you have to do that anyway write an essay sounds right yeah. and you get marked on it you know and that's part of your mark and, and everything and it's very important you learn that but then when you go to college or go to university they do not ever 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 want to see the 131 essay that is the last thing that they want because it's just wrote you're not, you're not doing anything new or interesting to that teacher. It's just boring to them. And that's not what a university professor wants from you. They want you to be interesting and they want you to want to see you thinking and what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's just one of those things where, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, I guess. Yeah. You kind of want to go back and have a word with your previous teachers. And just it's go, not, hey, it's not them though. I mean, they, they're just part of the system, right? I mean, it's the ministry that decides that this is important. And they're the ones like teachers don't get to make these decisions. They're not they're they're not what they don't want to teach a one three one. They got they had the same experience that you did or I, that I did when they got to university. The university said no, don't don't do this. In fact, I think it was Eve said when she learned to do it at school. The teacher said it's important that you learn to do this here, but don't do this when you get to university because no one will want to see this. But they want to see they you know here in high school we want to see that you know how to marshal your thoughts and write an essay. And we want to see that you have the writing skills in order to make yourself make your thoughts understood but when you get to university they do not want to see this kind of you know rote pattern you know style yeah university looked uh, pretty scary to me like I, I would sometimes go and audit a audit a class just sit in the back and go whoa this is a i, I just i pictured it as infinite work like just infinity work there would be, okay be because what you went to wouldn't have been a big class though right 
I used to sneak into UBC and I would uh, audit classes. Okay. Of different types, like just, okay. just randomly different types. Because, yeah, and, when I uh, went to UBC, I took languages. So it was really like 20 people in the classroom. Mm. Like I know that a lot of when people who took English and stuff like that, you know, they'd be like 200 to a class. You know, they'd just be sitting in a giant auditorium with a, with a you know, ant-sized teacher teaching away at the, at the base. But I never experienced that. I basically was like I'd gone from high school into a different sort of high school situation because it was just, right. just 20 people sitting at desks again. So, yeah, yeah. it just depends on... But I was going to say, like, with the girls... Sorry, I keep interrupting. But so I was going to say with the girls that they, you know, like... I don't, I, I don't want... You know, Lisa, of course, has a big part to play in this, too. I don't... It's not me. Um, but, yeah, the girls... I'm, like, endlessly impressed at how, in their schoolwork, whether a high school or university, how, um, you know, how diligent they were at, at, at doing all their... Well, Eve less so than Mary, actually, at high school. But Eve going... Eve... I feel like Eve, we kind of rushed. Like we should have held her back one more year before we put her into school. She maybe oh, should have. She maybe because she was a uh, she was a late late November baby, and you know the end of December is the cutoff, right? Okay. And so she was late November baby, and she was also a premature baby. So she's she's was a little behind uh, developmentally, even even for like some of our November. So I feel like she should have um, would have been better if we had we had put her into. Um, kindergarten a year later i think she would have been better off in terms of schoolwork and not socially she was always always fine socially but just in terms of 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 like her her mental uh maturity you know like you know like you have to you know you cannot do higher math as a kid unless unless you're some kind of freak but but yeah you know most children it takes time for your brain to develop to the point where you can do higher math and so you know or in any kind of math so you might if you're like you know almost a year behind some of the some of the other kids that are in school with you you know kids who are born in february and march and stuff like that you're going to feel like a dummy compared to them sometimes because you're not getting what they're getting because they're they're more more mature than you are you know maybe your reading isn't coming as easily as as it could or whatever you know and when that happens it, you start to feel like you're falling behind and then you start to feel like you're dumb now uh i don't know if you mentioned this but like did, uh, did either of the girls go to preschool or anything like that yes both girls went to preschool um, not because they needed to, I was, I could have looked after them or my mother-in-law could have happily looked after them, but it was more that we thought it was important for them to start to get used to the idea of being away for us for part of the day. Okay. And so in preschool, it was just like two hours, right? It wasn't like a big, it wasn't like a big long day. So kind of like you start with your two hours of preschool and then they would go to kindergarten and that was just the morning for the girls. Neither of them got afternoon. Thank goodness. That seemed like a terrible thing for a parent to have to go that way but it's, it's much better to get them out in in the morning or at lunch they got to come home for lunch and then you know and so then um and then they go from that to like the full-time day so it kind of was a, each step you know i think that helped them a lot and mary mostly went because her 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 beloved cousin who's the same age as her she, he was also he was going to preschool so she really wanted to go with him so we we did and then when mary went then eve of course expected well i get to go right because <laughs> mary went so we're like, okay that's fine <laughs> that's fine so yeah it's uh but because I was a farrier then, and my hours were my own, basically I could set my I could set appointments to when I was available, and when okay. the, you know, so I could pick up the girls and do all that kind of stuff, or do it later in the day, or or whatever, right? So I could work my schedule around when they when they needed me, and that was always very nice. But yeah, now it would have been weird to me, like as as a kid, like the idea of preschool just wasn't a thing, like it wasn't just some it wasn't something people went to, and it was just weird to me, like oh, you didn't? I went to preschool. Did you go to preschool? Yeah, yeah I uh, I did not. And uh, the idea of like there's something before kindergarten, 
Like even that seems pretty early. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're, the parent like it's not it's not free, right? You pay for a preschool. Yeah. It's like a, you know, you're basically. It, it's just yeah, well, it's I weird. Also, I went to Catholic school, so it was a paid school as well. Oh, okay, but okay. Yeah. yeah, like with the girls when they went to preschool, we paid for that. Whereas on like say kindergarten, where it's just we pay for it as well on our taxes, but it's not like a it's not a you know you don't have to pay give them a check before they start. Uh, yeah, my parents just signed me up for a fight club when I was a kid. And what? That's, that's what we spent most of our. I shouldn't talk about it now. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I think. Was there a rule? Yeah, it was basically the rule was yeah. uh, get kids in Fight Club before they can talk. Yeah, yeah. And that way you can't talk about Fight Club because they don't have this, the skills. Oh, wait, wait sorry, what's it called? Uh, we just called it. Ah! Like, that's just what we called <laughs> Okay, it. sorry. I thought you said a different name, but okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all we could. Uh, that's all we could do. Okay, sure, sure. And then you just like, and and I. To be fair, there were gentlemen betting on us. Oh. And sometimes they throw weapons into the pit. I, again, I'm saying too much. <laughs> I signed a. I signed some papers. I signed an NDA. Uh, yeah, they made us. That was the first thing I ever had to write. Was my name, <laughs> uh, on an NDA. Just a kind of a shaky X on it. Yeah, yeah. Explain. I know that was back when I. My name was X. <laughs> that's that's funny i feel like a lot of my early childhood experiences um were my mom trying to get rid of me <laughs> like i was always going to day camps and things like that where there was like an outdoor camp or a ice skating camp or this things like that i i i, I was always in these camp like day long or weekend long camps all the time and i just i always feel like i wonder if my mom was just like tired of me I just want get this kid out of here <laughs> so move move him along well, you know, I mean, I know you enjoy, uh, yeah, and you still do, being a dad so much. Like the idea of like get him out of here. It's, yeah. yeah, it's weird to me. Like, yeah, like the idea of, yeah, I don't know, I don't understand that. Like, like the idea of like, oh, we get to go out for dinner without the kids. Why? What's the fun of that? It'd be, would it be even better if the kids were there? Although when they're very young, it is a bit of a chore. But you know, yeah, unless they're what working the heck? at the restaurant, what I mean, the that's fine. <laughs> that's fine too. Yeah. My That's son, the I bus boy. Up, yeah, I ended up doing that like after the fight club, and it was like, okay, let's oh. get them working in a, Yeah, I was, was this I was, a, was this a nightclub? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. Uh, yeah, it was a, a Studio Fifty. Uh, <laughs> studio Fifty. Was that what it was? Sure, Studio 54. I thought you were going to try and change the name first. I was like, oh, where's where he going with this? Well, Studio 50, 50. Studio 58 was the theater school here in Vancouver, <laughs> and I always get the. Oh, that was four better than Studio 54. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe it was four better. Uh, <laughs> it, it was an interesting theater. Like, it was the prestigious theater school here, and I was like, oh. Oh, uh, really? Is it, does yeah, does, it, does it no longer exist? Um, it's, uh, it does exist, but oh, like okay. back then there was, uh, Anthony Holland was the, uh, ran it and I, I forget we ran it with uh, her name. Oh, I'm blanking. I feel bad about that. Um, uh, but like they were the school, like it was, oh man, if you got into this school, wow. Oh boy. And so I was like, oh, well, I definitely have to get into that school. And then I found out, you know, for your first year, they don't let you perform. You've just got to learn all this, uh, training stuff before they actually let you on stage. So you don't perform for like a year? Yeah, you don't actually do any like on stage performing for a year. Oh, okay, so uh, fuck that. Okay, so what else is there? Because I don't want to spend a year not performing on stage. So what did you do? Like we learned sword fighting or what were you learning? Yeah, you would learn you'd learn sword fighting. Well, you'd learn movement, you'd learn you know, you'd study. Okay. Uh, you'd learn monologues, you would do some monologues maybe to you know, to teachers in class. You'd yeah, learn, yeah. You know, you'd learn craft, you'd learn the history, you'd do, maybe do some stagecraft. 
building sets, you know, learn behind the scenes. Maybe you'd work tech on a show, <laughs> really get to, you know, do, do costumes, sure, sure. do all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, like I see the benefit of it, but it's, and it also was one of those break you down and build you up. So it's like, okay. so what have you done so far? And whatever you said, well, that's garbage. <laughs> We're going to start you from scratch. Whatever you learned before is a piece of shit. Uh, fuck that noise. You know, so I was like, okay. I, went, I took some green thumb classes. Fuck that. What'd you do? I did theater sports. Improv is garbage. Okay, what did you do? Well, I've been doing some theater. Th- ah, much of theater is a uh, hack. You know, you're going to have feelings and emotions and strip you down and build you up. <laughs> and also have sex with you if you're a girl. Anyway. Uh, um, well, why, okay, you're putting uh, Oh, that's, putting restrictions that's true. That. I shouldn't really say that. I didn't want to I didn't want to tar everyone. I didn't want to tar everyone, but you're right. Yes, that's but right. But to yeah. be fair, you know, again, to be fair, I went then to Douglas College where uh, there, was, there definitely was that with the movement instructor. You yeah. know, he was, you know, nailed for doing that. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. But the one thing about that was, I was always like, oh, I wonder if I could, uh, I probably said this this show before. I doubt I it. Make, uh, yeah, I wonder if I could make it, to, you know, and, and I would have passed the audition. And then after I completed college, uh, the Anthony Holland and, uh, and the other person whose name I'm blanking on started a theater company called Presentation House uh, Theater Company. And I auditioned for that and I got in. So I was like, ha ha, I did get through an audition with them. And then they said they were going to pay me, and then they didn't. And I went, ha ha, I've got to leave. And uh, it was a bit scandalous that I left because everyone else was just like, put the experience, put the experience. And I'm like, honestly, I, I completely out of money. I was, I, was, I was going to north of Vancouver from Delta every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no money at all. And I was told, and I was like the lead in a play. And, and uh, you know, a week into rehearsal, I just, uh, I bailed. I just went, well, because I, I went up to you know, them and I, I said, look, this is my situation. And you said you were going to, like, pay us, uh, you know, and the way they said it was, it's not going to be a living wage, but it's going to be something. Yeah. That sounds fine to me. What's the something? And they went, uh, yes, we can't do that. I'm like, hmm. So, uh, I, I, I left and, and, and luckily immediately got hired. Uh, for a touring show around British Columbia, where it was a drug and alcohol information show. It was one of those shows of, you know, uh, hey, you should, uh, let's go drunk driving. Uh, freeze! What would you do? <laughs> and so I got that gig. But but it was, uh, everyone at that school hated, not school, everyone at that company hated me because I like, left to play a week into rehearsal. But it was like, fuck, man, <laughs> I got to live. And you guys lied to me. Yeah. And it was like, but no, it's the theater. And, and it was like, okay, well, you seem like a cult. So I'm also going to leave because of that. <laughs> so, a little of you lying, a little of me not being able to afford this, and a little of you being like. <laughs> but I did uh, get in, so that, that did. Huh. Picked a box in my... It was a similar box to... Uh, where I recently got asked if I wanted to be an adjunct uh, professor at UBC teaching comedy. Yeah. And it was like, aha, tick, box. Okay, good. Uh, I never got into UBC, but, uh, you know, not that I, I really aggressively tried. But it was always like, could I have? Oh, but you're asking me to teach you. Ah, that doesn't. Okay, that'll do. All right, fine. I'm okay now with that and uh, feel comfortable now and good. But you opted to not do that. I opted to not uh, teach the class. No, that actually was a real trigger for me uh, where I just went, oh, oh, no, no, I don't want to just be like talking about um, uh, 
this. I want to be doing more of this. And then I, um, I, I sort of changed my ways a bit where I started um, uh, just pursuing more things. Uh, and, and, and now I'm doing more things. And so I'm, uh, it was a, it was a good uh, thing, I think, for, you know, I just saw, I saw not the person who was mainly teaching the class, he's doing fine. But there was another person who he took me, like he took me in to see the class and I saw a person talking about their, their past achievements. And I just went like, oh, I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be up at the front of a class going, and then I did this, and then I did this. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I still <laughs> want to be doing this. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of uh, hit a little switch in my brain. I was like, no, I just got to keep pitching stuff and doing stuff and make. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I still would like to teach to some degree, but not, uh, not just that kind of back in the day I used to. And here's how you. I also, I also at the time thought that the class uh, was uh, probably not the best use of uh, everyone's time in that room. And I just wanted to say to them, don't take this. <laughs> just go do things. How much did you pay for this? Well, don't pay for this. You take that money and make things. That's what you should do. Make a whole bunch of mistakes. And, you know, you guys all know each other now, right? Yeah, yeah we work together and make things. That's how you do it. That's where this is going to lead afterwards anyway. <laughs> so, you know, mm, bye. <laughs> you, you would have been popular. Yeah. I mean, this was what I always used to think with improv, too, was, you know, where they have all these improv classes that cost, you know, so much money. And I'm like, you know what? If you just got together with, I don't know, like seven of your friends, and you all like kicked in twenty bucks. Uh, I bet you could get a teacher to come to a workshop anywhere you wanted and just give them like, hey, would you for like you know two hours? Would you like like a hundred and fifty bucks? Yeah, that's what that person would say. <laughs> and then you got a workshop there for like you know uh, two hours where you can really pick that person's brain and and go through things. And it's like you know you can go through this the standard way of doing things or get together with people, make things. And then occasionally when you want the advice of others, pay the others for their time. And then, you know, have like a two hour lunch with them and, you know, pay them for their time and pick their brain and ask for, you know, what they think of this, that, and the other, or pay them to look over your script or whatever you want them to do. There are people who would be happy to do that. Yeah. You know, but I know a lot of people want that structure of, uh, okay. So from high school <laughs> to college or university. And yeah. This class, and then I do this, and that's how you do it. And it's like, mm, yeah, but it's all going to end up then with you making your own stuff, probably. Yeah, and I think it also stuff. fits their parents' matrix too, right? The idea, sure, of, sure, sure. you know, like a structure. You just can't go from school and then just, you know, like you're not even going to university. Like, you know, we've been dreaming of you going to university, you know. So yeah, I think this is a little bit though how cults work too, and that they will provide you with a ladder. That means nothing, mm. but it looks like a ladder, so you always sure. feel that you're going up. So yeah, you yeah. have that artificial feeling of advancement, even <laughs> though that's not how anything works. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you're probably gonna, in whatever job you take, you know, you'll probably not be in that job for your whole life. Things will then uh, that will dissolve, and you'll have to start again. And you'll take some of those experiences and blah, 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 whatever, especially if you're in the arts. But like, I think anything, frankly, sure. You know, yeah, probably it should be that way. Um, Actually, speaking of cults, Lisa and I were watching that documentary, The Vow, mm -hmm. about the Nexium yep. people. The one with the um, the woman from Smallville. Yes. Allison Mack. 
Allison Mack, yes. That's and right. also Christian Crook from that show was also involved with it for a short while. Oh, was she? She did not stick with it, though. She was not oh, there okay. for the... Um, I think she saw the creepiness and she, she skedaddled. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sure she tried to warn people, but, you know, it's a situation where no one's listening. What's that, sir? No one listen. No. Yeah. No. It's no. quite a... They, they, they know how to uh, they know how to make you not listen. It's a uh, it's kind of interesting show, and one thing about it that I that I kind of found watching it was that I was I kind of became less sympathetic to the people who were the victims, like who were the main characters of the documentary, who were the victims of this thing, um, over the the course of the the shows. Like at first, I was just kind of like, oh, these poor people getting involved in this. Thing on after a while, you're just kind of like, oh, just get over yourselves, <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, it's uh, it's like, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 um, it definitely you definitely have to be a type, I think, to 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 uh, not that I think anyone's vulnerable to to brainwashing and to control sure. of that kind. But I just think you have to be a type to end up wanting to go into those sort of things. Like, like I know that the kind of main character at the beginning of the show is this guy named Mark Vincente who was a co-director of this movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? Oh, Do you yeah, yeah, remember yeah. Remember that film that came that. out? It was yeah, sort of yeah, a yeah. sort of a new way new age m- movie that kind of tried to connect spiritual consciousness to quantum physics and Yeah, it was bullshit. It yeah, was it was one very of those ones, It was yeah. one of those ones I actually have a a stand up routine about that. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. The, um, the, and I'll do super fast. No, no, no. Do the whole thing. Do the whole thing. Set up oh, as well. Sure thing. All right. So who here's from out of town? <laughs> Me. Um, who's here's in the cult? Me. All right. Well, okay. All right. Well, the first part is admitting it. No, it was because in that they had the, um, I think that they had on Oprah, uh, which was they had uh, two vats of water. Yeah. And, uh, and they did measurements, scientific measurements. <laughs> yes. And then they, they, they put a little sign on each of them. And one said, like, I think, like joy. And one yeah. said pain. And, like that. Mm-hmm. and then the next day they came in and did more measurements. And they showed look at the crystal structure of the water and it's like really beautiful. And the one that says joy and the one that says pain or whatever yeah. was like all chaos. And they said, uh, you know, the amazing thing is, you know, the impact words have on, uh, on, on, on just objects. And if you think about what impact words have on this water, just think of what impact the words have on you. <laughs> and my thing was, uh, no, I think you're bearing the lead here. The thing is water can read. <laughs> That's your. That's the most amazing thing. Is water can read. Water can read. Water can read English. That's also good. Luckily, you didn't get any water from like Japan that know how to read. And then also that it can read backwards. I was just going to say it can read outside of the tank. So there's all this kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So yeah, they put that in as like a realistic. Okay. So anyway, he was the producer of what the bleep. Well, he was the one of the directors. There were three people. But what was what was interesting? I was looking up about him, and and that movie was produced by. Man, I can't remember the name of the. It's a this guru kind of a you know, I would call it a charlatan, but I don't want to offend people. But this lady who's from Washington. Yeah, it doesn't matter what his religion is. <laughs> Washington State, who um, is said to be channeling this five thousand year old being and speaking okay. speaking for him, and so he was a member of that. I would like to call them a cult as well, but he was a member of that first. So, you know, this guy is kind of like a walking... I think he's a person who walks into doors all the time, although people have told him to not walk into doors. And so, you know, he decided he left that group, and I don't know why he left them, but he was still searching. He was looking. He felt that there should be some answers or whatever, and so he 
he went to the Nexium and then he just walked into that door as well. And he should learn to open the doors before he walks into them. And uh, so, yeah, he started at Nexium and, and then, you know, typical of these things, it, it's like starts to slowly take over your life. And they have like a series of things where you would get these sashes that you would drape over your neck and they were in different colors. And that would indicate where you were in your progression of learning, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of multi-level marketing combined with, you know, this and the guy Keith Raniere, who is like the the guru of 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 Nexium, you know, he's this guy who just it's just you know you listen to him talk and it's it's just a lot of babble, like it's just the most meaningless sure. stuff you've ever heard in your life. Some, I shouldn't say it's meaningless; some of it's meaningful, but it's nothing new. You you could, you could hear it anywhere, you know, like they're just platitudes or just very very common, uh, you know, kind of philosophical statements or whatever. There's one thing where he's you know he's like telling the story he's telling this story and he's like about a king. I can't remember the whole story now. It's basically like a, a, ver, a, ver, a version of Hegel's king. The idea that the king needs his subjects and the subjects need the king. And so who has the power dynamic in that? And so it's the idea that there's the, the power shifts between groups, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like brand new, right? Never heard it. Yeah. And so he's telling the this. Dog, you're walking the dog and the dog turns and goes like, Hey, who's got the power in this? <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Right. Wait. Right. Wait. Do you think I have the power? I'm just going to poop in the lawn here and see what you have to do with it. So then, so then, um, uh, he, yeah. But there's just a scene where it cuts to this Mark Vin- Vincente, this director guy, and he's like nodding his head, like, "Yeah, that's so true." Hmm. Just <laughs> like, what are you even like? Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's just you know, so people are like they're getting sucked, and then of course then. They get sucked more and more into it. Then they become like they pay a bunch of money for it, right? Yeah. You pay a bunch of money. You're paying for the lessons. And, then, and now you've really committed to it. It's like yeah. It's, I forget what that's called, but it's okay. money. Yes. And there is an actual thing where it's like the more that you have invested sure. into something, sure. the more you it's easier for you to go along with whatever the the, the next crazy thing is. Yeah. Because you've already invested your time and 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 your money into this thing, so that's you right. know I, I want this to work. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm a fool for That's doing this. That's right. Happened. Aliens in a volcano? Yeah, it's a, it's what gamblers go through. It's just like, you should now walk away knowing you have $10 left. Yeah. But no, yeah. I should spend the $10 because otherwise, I've, I've blown it all. You know, I've blown all this money. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm invested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, he's like, you know, he becomes like a coach and then a mentor. Like, all these different levels of things, right? Like, this Keith Raniere guy who's like the top dog he's he's called vanguard that's his name and it's really interesting though because they have these like they have the class and i guess the people who are doing the sales it's you know and and part of you know part of what's interesting to me is like someone who sold encyclopedias where we had to memorize like a set spiel that we had to like say wrote we had to practice it with each other in our motel room we would sit and like do our sales for some reason i don't know why they need to do yeah i don't know it was sort of weird it's a commitment though it's a commitment yeah it was fine and uh, while well, holding hands with each other or something. <laughs> At first. Yeah. At first, it changed over time. So then, yeah, so, um, yeah, they, so, you know, they'll do like the spiel and stuff like that. And, you know, how much would you sp- pay to blah, blah, blah. And then, but then they would just like put on these videos of this lady named Nancy Saltzman is her name. She's, she's also in jail now. And so she is, you know, she's talking uh, just like a videotape. Like you just plug a videotape in and you turn it on and then she's just like, you know. When in your life have you ever experienced pain? 
how did it make you feel? You know, this sort of thing like that, right? And then it's just, oh, it's just so, it's, it's, uh, do you, you know, there's a center here for it, right? They opened no. up, they opened up a Nexium center here. Oh. I think this lady that, this lady named Sarah Edmondson, who was kind of the person who brought it here, I think she said she like brought in like 2,000 people into Nexium here in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, a friend of Mike Roberts was involved in it, got very heavily involved in it because we kind of wondered why he disappeared for a while. Like he just kind of he just kind of disappeared, and then he suddenly reappeared, and he's like, "Yeah, I got involved in this really weird cult." <laughs> so he got totally sucked into it for a while, and it took me a, it took me a long time to get out of it. We're like, "Oh my god!" Like this was pre like the kind of sex cult part of it. Oh, that was I think always going on, but the the kind of where it became like a more organized sex cult where they started this thing called DOS, you know, where the women became masters to other women who were slaves, and then they there's a whole, whole weird control dynamic where you know. And, Everyone's like jockeying for, and then that Allison Mack was sort of like the head of it. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, fa- okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking if it still exists here. I don't know if it still exists. <coughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it still exists in the sense that there's still people, they still probably still have like their, they, you know, like this core group of believers are still believing. Well, I mean, what usually happens with this kind of thing is like the name changes and then the people move on to something else. And I'm not saying that, the, you know, the forum was a cult. Yeah. But no, I'm saying like Est, you yeah. know, eventually burns itself out and then has to become the, the forum. Yeah. And yeah. then it burns itself out and it has to change its name to something. Mm-hmm. But it's the same. It's the same deal. Yeah. 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 Same. And yeah, the next thing was just the same sort of thing. It's just, just a guy who previously had, had, you know, worked worked for Amway. Just taking some of their some of their philosoph- business philosophies and applying it to to a, a self help program, you know. And he called it. And the hilarious thing is that he called it like uh, technology. Mm. And they'd say like you know like the program was patented. It was a patented mm-hmm. technology. Yeah. Like this is you know garbage. Like why would people buy all this stuff? Like even like you walk in the door and someone's saying that to you. Like you should be just going like this is ridiculous. And in fact, this uh, in this the movie, the Sarah Edmondson who was recommended to go to these courses by this Mark Vincente guy. She like went to one class and she phones me and goes, are you getting me mixed up in a cult? And he's like, no, 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 just go for a few, you know, go for a couple more and, you know, see what, see if it has any value to you. Yeah. And of course you just get suckered into it because, you know, it starts to work on your mind because it breaks down your defenses. And you and, invest and you invest. Yeah. It's like, uh, why do people do this? Where's the common sense? Because everyone's hungry for something. Everyone's got a piece missing. Well, that, that, what that piece is. And that's they try, right. They don't give you all of the piece. Yeah. They just give you enough of a piece and say there's more to come. Mm-hmm. And then they get you hooked on whatever the next thing is and, you know, so whatever the structure is and, and keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's never ending. And it I, is. Yeah. I was, I was, um, I was watching and I was thinking to myself while I was watching and I was like, because, you know, part of it is the idea that you're going to come out of this to find joy. And that's sort of the goal of Nexium is to find joy. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell you that it's so Keith Rainier finds joy, but it's fine. So then, uh, but I was just thinking, oop, is that a cat? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking while I was watching, I was thinking, what if, what if joy is incidental to our lives? You know, it's something that we should prize when it comes and comes upon us, mm-hmm. but that we shouldn't always expect it. Because if you always expect it, you're, you're just going to be disappointed. You're not going to understand why you're not always joyful. And why life isn't always easy and fun. And sometimes it's boring and sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's, you know, whatever, frustrating and, and sometimes it's joyful. Is you know? it, uh, is the idea that, uh, joy is external or internal for them? 
I think the idea is that joy is internal. So you they, just have to awaken this thing in but, yourself. Yeah. And you feel joy regardless of circumstance or... Yes. Okay, it's up to you. It's, it's up to you to deny pain and, and, and not let those things control you. Right. And the right. idea that... If you feel pain, you will not feel joy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not true. But okay, <laughs> all right. It feels almost like the opposite to me. It's like if you allow yourself to feel pain... Yeah. Well, then open yourself enough that you will uh, allow yourself to feel joy. I mean, don't, exactly. you, if you don't want to be depressed all the time, but if you, yeah. you know, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, if you, have undif- if you have undifferentiated experiences, they will never, you will not appreciate them because they are never, they're always the same. Mm-hmm. There's no variation to them. You know, like, you cannot appreciate coming home to a warm, warm house unless you walk through a cold, or go on a cold walk. And when you come to your house and it's toasty warm and you get to sit down in a chair and put a blanket around you and turn on the TV, that's a great feeling, you know? And we've talked and, you know, it's a smaller thing, but like, sure. we've talked about like, you know, uh, having pets that are ill and who have passed mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. and like, you know, uh, yeah, that's great. That's great pain, but they also brought you great joy. That's exactly and right. That, that's the cause of the pain. And also, the, you know, that's, but it's both, it's a balance, it's a balance. Yeah. And I think that our, I think most people's minds, not, not everyone, unfortunately, but most people's minds tend to veer in terms of memory veer towards joy and there i mean that's why you get another pet if you didn't if you didn't if you only remembered bad you would never get another pet after your pet died because your thought your thoughts about your pet would be oh it's just terrible you know it's just it's a dark hole where your pet just slowly uh, deteriorates and then you well, have to have it put was- down that is, though, the case for my grandparents and my father. Mm-hmm. Like, my grandparents lost their bird. Their bird kit flew out the window. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it broke their hearts. Like, they loved that bird so much. Yeah. They went, I can never have another pet. And when my dad's cat died when he was a boy, yeah. it was like, I can never have another pet because it just hurts so much. Yeah. And I guess I can see that. I really, I really do think I can see that. Mm. But, like, because I had... Uh, other pets when my first pet died yeah or like my you know my cat died uh kinsey uh i was like okay just move on it's a cycle it's a thing and mm-hmm. you move on and you move on and yeah. i guess after charlie which was our you know the, the last of our main three cats passed away it was feeling like well no we can't we just gotta take a break this was so devastating yeah and then just you know we ended up uh being being asked if we'd uh, look after this this guy yeah and that was just like yeah we'll look after him sure for a while and then we, we just fell for him and got asked if we wanted to, like, you know, take him. And it's like, yes. Yeah. And, yeah, you open your heart to that. And you just so yeah, you know what? At some point, this is going to really hurt. Again, <laughs> but, like, it, he's so worth it right now, even though he's bugging me right now. And he's like, no, that's not the podcast. Yeah. And, I mean, it is, and it's not a betrayal of Charlie or, or August. It's an acknowledgement of how important they were to you, that you, you want to have that feeling still, you know? Like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, like, I got... To me, like those people, it feels like they're going about healing themselves the wrong way and putting themselves in in, in a way of harm because they're not they're not um, I don't know how to say it, but they're you know they're just they're not dealing with with the reality, like not, not dealing with how like how you should really deal with these things. You know what I mean? Like, right? It's it's not that I have the answer. If I did, I would have a sex cult. But if you know, if if I, I just feel like the idea that we should own we should be chasing joy just feels wrong like it doesn't it does it just feels like you that's the wrong way to live your life like you cannot I mean, spend your time like pursuing you know feeling good you know feeling good like like i don't know 
I'm going to say it's like this. It's not. I'll give this visual example. I draw it on a board. Okay. This will be really good. It's like so. Joy. Let's say Joy is like over here on this board. Okay. Like your your two little your two little uh uh like little dots, and you're here, and then Joy is over here. Yeah. And now the idea of like you chase Joy, you got to pursue Joy, and you see that dot chasing after it like Pac-Man. That's that's one way of going about it. Yeah. That's possible. That you might just keep going from thing to, and then you see another bit of joy over here, but then there's lots of dots, and you're like, oh, which one do I go for? I don't know. And, <laughs> you know, maybe you'll catch one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or you, just in general, try to expand yourself and be bigger. And that, like, I'm just going to feel more things. I'm going to feel more, I'm going to feel more pain. I'm going to just be more aware. I'm going to open myself up more. I'm going to take more risks. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do things that may end up getting me, you know, emotionally hurt. I might ask that person out that I'm attracted to, even though, you know, oh, they might shut me down. Who knows? Uh, You know what? I've always wanted to, you know, move to this place. Okay, well, I'm going to take that risk. Open yourself up. And so you get bigger and you get so big that you then overlap into the joy. Like you catch up to the joy by expanding, Mm. not by your little dot just going to pursue uh, that other dot and chasing dots around in general. <laughs> and you might even like, you know, uh, hit another uh, pocket of joy that you had no idea about that was there. Sure. But because you were open to this, yeah. uh, you met people, you met, you had experiences and now, oh, okay, well, this is what I do and this is what I love. Possible, but you'll also uh, get more pain too. So That's it. Uh, yeah, exactly right. And you know what? I think you're ready to start a sex cult. Yeah. You know what, man? It would not have been hard once upon a time when I was <laughs> when I was in like an improv company. Yeah, that basically was the case. Like when I when I hear of, of I mean, obviously this is a next level, next level sex trafficking. Let's not even count yeah. this as the thing. But when you've got that kind of position of power of like, oh, people want to join your improv company. Mm. It's very very popular. There were people that would, you know, use that for sexual purposes and they would, you know, do culty shit and, you know, and, and you want to move to that next level in the company and then the next level. And what the fuck does that mean? But it just feels like you're going, you know, all the dynamics of a cult are there. I at one point kind of presented that in this uh, uh, forum I've got called Noan uh, on uh, Facebook, which was like, here are signs that you might be involved in a cult. And a lot of them crossed completely perfectly over with, you know, the improv community and things that they, that they do. And, you know, we had this big kind of falling out uh, of the uh, kind of improv world in general, you know, when the pandemic kind of struck, it was about the same time that this movement happened, you know, yeah, there was a lot of like, you know, creeps taking advantage of things. You know, it's very, it's very easy to slip into that. It's very simple. And there's people who really want to be part of that. They want in. You know, it's not a hard convince. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I did a comic once upon a time about uh, going to the, the forum um, and, uh, and you know, bringing you along. And, uh, you know, you helped me get, at, you know, talk me out of that. Um, but I know people that got suckered in, hmm. you know, definitely to that. And they're smart people. It's like, yeah, yeah. they want in. Yeah, it's like well, it's designed. You know, but the thing is, it's designed to trick you. It's designed to trick you, though. It works, and it's always worked, mm -hmm. and it always will work for a reason. I was watching um, Michael Rosenbaum uh, video podcast, and he he played Lex Luthor on Smallville. Okay, and uh, he was talking about Allison Mack and saying, 
and I'm going to paraphrase kind of his sure. story here. Sure. But someone was asking, like, did you ever you know this was going on? And he went, no, we weren't really that close. We'd go to like some dinners, you know, sometimes, you know, with the cast. But he said, yeah, there was one, there was one thing that happened where I was at my home and I got a phone call from Alice and she went, uh, hey, my, my friends are uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, uh, we're coming over. I was like, huh? I was like, <laughs> okay. And he was there with another friend of his at the time. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, says like, yeah, all this happened. So she showed up and she was with another woman and a big guy. And they immediately went into his kitchen and said, we're hungry. And they started making themselves food, just went through his fridge huh. and started making food. And it was like, what's, what's this about? And they really were just making themselves at home and yeah. kind of dominating the space. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of, and, and, and she didn't really have any emotion. She was just like cold. Yeah. And, you know, they, they'd say things, but it, it felt very, very strange. And then later on, he was like, well, that's enough of that. You guys, they got to leave. And he was giving like subtle hints, of, like look at the time and all that, but no, no dice. Till finally, he just said to them, "You guys got to go." It was rude of you to come here, and uh, you know. And then the big guy starts getting in his face about it. It's like, "What are you going to do about it?" And starts, you know, kind of doing pushback on it. And he looks over to Allison to see what she's, and she's blank, just blank, not nothing, like no, oh, don't do this. It was just like, yeah, this is how it is. And finally, he just like got them to leave. They were like, yeah. And I realized at that point, yeah, she was into something, something was going on. But it was that, it was that feeling of just like, your stuff is ours. Yeah. There's no, hmm. you know, yeah. Interesting. You're nothing. <laughs> You're nothing. We're going to, we're going to, we want this. We're going to take it. Yeah. And now we still want to be here. So you can't make us leave. That's, you know, there you go. And it was, it was that mentality. And yeah, very, very strange. Concept. Yeah, very strange, very scary, very, uh, very sad. Well, I, I remember one time you and a friend of ours, Gina, were over at my my house, my parents' house, and I had just come back from selling the selling books, and so I still had my prospectus, which was the sample encyclopedia, and I still had my spiel memorized. And so I said to you guys, well, I'm going to do this for you. And of course, you guys were joking around at the beginning of it, and then I just went through and I did the spiel for you. And when I was done, I said, would you buy this book? And both of you went, yeah, I would buy that book. And I go, yeah, that's how effective these speeches are. Like, this yeah. is how they, they, you know, it's not, it's not even written by like a, a guy. It's written by a corporation. And like the Xerox Corporation wrote the spiel for this encyclopedia company, you know, and it's psychologically designed to trigger, you know, the agreement and want in the person who's listening to it. And that's what they, that's, and that well, it, were, those, those tricks are taken. Yeah. All, yeah. It was all things you don't say no to. So it's all yes questions. That's part of it. When so you start, you start with yes questions. Going. Yeah, That's yes, right. yes, 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 yes. By the way, this is also a thing with improv. I'll just like tie up. Is that there's a real yes and thing of like accept sure. all offers, accept yeah, all yeah, offers. Yeah. And so people can, can get you into that state of accepting, accepting, accepting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when they bring that into real life, uh -huh. you know, it's just like, and now you got to take this workshop. Yeah. And now you got to do this. Yeah. And now we should get together after this. Yeah. I should be your personal coach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so on. Sure. And then there's yeah. that, there's the in-group thing as well, right? So now you guys, hey, we're this company. We're the so-and-sos. That's something you guys got to remember. You're a so-and-so. Yeah. When you go out there, people are looking, looking at you and they're going to be like, man, I wish I was those guys. That's the kind of stuff they talk about, right? Like, like that's the attitude of those people who went over to, to the, uh, Michael Rosenbaum's is they're the cool people. In their minds, they're the cool people. They're the people other people want to be. Well, they're the only people that matter, you know? But the, that's, what, that's what that feels like to me. It's but the, like, the thing is, is that when you, when you watch the documentary, you realize that these people who are out, 
you know, are out of it and are, are trying to take it down, they still think of themselves that way. Mm. You know, it's still all about them. Yeah. And they're very pleased to be part of this drama and have all this drama circling around them. It's very pleasing to their egos. And you're kind of like, I don't know if you guys have really <laughs> got the lesson of what you went through, but okay, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're enjoying being in this documentary. Yeah. But I don't know if you learned anything from your experiences because it wasn't very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, stay out of cults. This, this, yeah. this when, actually when they start to brand you, leave. Um, that's one of those things that's so over the top that it doesn't feel like you think like, well, that's the deal breaker, but it's so over the top that it's not, it's not, it's, and like when the, the one woman was talking about it and she was being very honest, I don't think she, I don't think they're dishonest in what they're saying. And she was just saying like, she was horrified by the idea of it, you know, and she's basically held down and forced to undergo this. And it wasn't, it was done in like several strokes. It wasn't done in like one, like a one brand, like on a cow. Yeah. It was they were using like a solder soldering iron and it's like drawing lines Dear on her Lord. on her flesh. But when she went through it, when she came on the other side of it, she was like pumped that she had oh, yeah, yeah. gone through this and it was hardcore, yeah. you know, and so you felt this kind of pride about it. But yeah. the, but then she realized that she had this this symbol that spelled out the initials of Keith Raniere and Alison Mack right beside her female private parts. And she's married. <laughs> So how do you explain this to your husband, you know? And so she started to like, and she don't, and also they'd been giving, basically been giving what they called, I don't think it was called commitments, but it was basically blackmail material that she was giving to her quote unquote master, who was someone as she viewed as a friend, you know, like she wasn't like this person that was getting her to do this stuff. Wasn't, wasn't doing it seemingly out of, out of malice. It was part of like, the growth in the, in this experience right this is like a new step for us to be doing this you know this is like a new thing this is women together you know like this is like that's because that was the idea but it was just a woman sort of a sorority thing like just all kind of sisters sisters united and but you know, then it had this weird element of like you know they couldn't they they had to ask permission to do things you know i want to eat is that okay you know and just you know so it's this this kind of slow creeping control over these people yeah, it's amazing. It's, it is pretty amazing. Anyway, it's called The Vow. It's on HBO, people. It's a, yeah, it's interesting when you're mentioning you know, the, uh, that it's not done with malice. That that that, that phrase has come up a lot uh, in my life, where, like, mm. where someone will hurt someone. Because you love that movie like, with Bill Pullman? Yeah, it's always talking about the Bill Pullman movie, <laughs> uh, Malice and Absence of Malice. Um, the uh, but, but the idea of like, you know, but they, they didn't mean any harm when they said that. And that's like a parent thing. Yeah. When you're going like, you know, uh, my mom said to me, you'll never make it. Like, but she didn't say it with malice. I'm just like, well, how many things are yeah. actually done yeah. in the world, you know, actively with malice? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe even if, if those things are done, you can dismiss them even more and just go, oh, what a weird, random thing this person, you know, want to start a fight with me. But yeah. like, you know, the, the ones, the things that really do hurt you uh, are... Uh, without without malice at all and sometimes it's the, the other person thinking they're doing you a favor doing you something good or something nice i'd even say that this theater sports thing i was talking about or improv company is like yeah i bet like the people who are involved in that go like, oh no i'm doing uh, doing good things for them you know that they are better off you know it's, they are better off part of this mm-hmm. you know well I, they are better off with me i do th- i do think there is some bad intent in the top in the upper, you know, like the upper echelon, echelon or echelon, is it echelon? Echelon of these things. I'd say echelon, but you know. Oh, echelon. That's it is. There you go. Thank you. I shouldn't say words I have only read. 
Anyway, um, I do think there's some bad bad intent there. But I do. I think in the lower, like the people below, you know, who have bought into this, I think that they think what they're doing because they're come under the control of people. Yeah. I think what they think that you know what they're doing is 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 fine, and that it's it's part of the the growth of you know, like that's what the whole idea of Nextium is, right? It's personal growth, and this is the next stage of it, you know. So we got to keep on growing, you know, and and of course you need a brand because that's part of the the you know part of our identity as part of this group you know and so we need to all go go through this together in order to bond you know and and sometimes hazing is is well most of the time hazing is shitty so don't yeah do i it. just want to like, don't do it as you go up the actual uh, echelon um, <laughs> the, the uh, hierarchy yeah it's like at what point <laughs> does malice kick in like i i absolutely I it's not malice it's selfish it's just being so obsessed with what you what you are that you can dismiss mm. that's possible of instead of actively uh, you actively don't want to harm others yeah but, you know you are you are more important so and they're not and honestly you get to a certain point they're not you know it's like it's like the idea of like uh you know in the world there you know uh, you're eating your food and you're told like you know you should finish your food because there's poor people that are starving and, and you don't think of like those poor people that are starving as you're just like well that's the poor <laughs> They're just going to exist anyway. Yeah. That it, what I do in no way affects them, and so I can't. And by the way, they're always going to be there. So you know, I can't think. Come on, what do you do? And you know, yeah, I could, I could see them. You know, at a certain point. But yeah, that's their uh, evil sacks of shit in that well, type of cult. Uh, well, so I do, I do. I'm not dismissing that, but I'm just like in their own heads what they're. Yeah, doing. I well, I do think though that people who developed the dough developed it with the intent of like suckering people into this thing. So I, I do think that is 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 bad is that yeah. ba- is bad bad intention like i do like you know if you like put together a multi-level marketing style uh self-help group that's nothing but just like you know kind of cultic way for you to get money and 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 access to women like you know that's you're just acting like a, you're being an asshole basically so and i do think that ranieri is basically like a sociopath i do think i think that he does not care or it, he's he's not concerned with you know the effects he has on other people that his 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 needs are are paramount and that's what's important but it is kind of funny like how many times it's mentioned throughout by all these you know acolytes all his fans that he he won he won a judo championship when he was 11 <laughs> like that's his big claim to fame like whoop dee ding dong this is so okay. weird but then you know you're really that's here's another sign of a cult when you're like extolling your leader for like virtually nothing, you know? Yeah. He got the he won the egg race. <laughs> that's, uh, sports day. That's right. He, he, he won okay. the, he, yep, that's right. Oh man, it's it's pretty silly. But um, anyway, it is worth watching. I haven't finished it. I kind of got a bit uh I had enough of it after a while. Okay. You know, and it kind of feel, feels like it's just kind of circling around and then you just kind of eh. Whatever. As long as, as long as you don't, uh, you know, join a cult in the meantime, and see, you go, they got some good ideas. Uh, we watch the end of the cult movie. Oh, it I seems didn't... like it works out. I didn't. Yeah, that's. We watch the end. Like, well, it worked I... out for everybody. Oh no, just watch to the end of the Jonestown <laughs> movie. Like, I... Really? Because I think it looks okay. Everything works out fine. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. I like I like juice. And so on and so forth. Yeah, I, okay, well, let's just... Uh, well, listen, I was the one who talked you down. I'm not going to say I'm immune to this, but I, I, yeah. 
I had higher resistance than. Yeah, my good. Okay, what I had though as an advantage was uh, no money, <laughs> and 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 they, they were doing the old. Uh, well, there's uh, you know I can't afford it. You can't not afford it. Yeah. And um, can you afford a dollar like, a day for coffee? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't drink coffee because this is the past. You should talk to me in the year 2020. I drink a, two cups a day now. I'm like, oh boy, do you have money? Oh, not cult money. Do you, Back in- uh, having so many people and so many people in, in the Vancouver entertainment industry involved? In it, did you know anyone who was involved in Nexium? No. Okay. No, I no, I didn't. I don't know if that's something they would tell me too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Probably not. Yeah, that's tough to that's tough to say. I was just looking if, uh, and by the way, don't sue us, but I was just looking to see if the forum still existed. And it looks like it's still there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's some fine. of the people in this film were involved with the forum as well. I've gone, gone, done stuff with them as well. I mean, that's what I, that's what I mean. I think that these people were seekers, but I think that they were just doing, doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't mean to condemn them, but they just, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not necessarily that I'm doing it right. I, I go to church, but I'm probably, I'm part of a cult, but they, uh, they, um, yeah, it feels like they just had a really unhealthy, this unhealthy view of themselves and, 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 and were searching for something, but didn't know what it was or how, how to get to it, you know? And so they just were like, kind of, they were just prime targets for something like, something like this. And that was something they said too, as well, as well as that, like these kind of things, they don't look for, for failures. They want successful people to be part of these cults mm-hmm. because, well, when it's, you know, it makes them look better, but also successful people have money, you know, and can find yeah. stuff like two of the, two of the members of this Nexium were the, were two of the Bronfman sisters, like heirs of the Seagram's fortune, which was a, for people who don't know, Seagram's is a, it was a distillery, it was a, uh, they sold uh, liquor here in Canada and also had invested early on in DuPont. And so they had like a controlling share of DuPont for a long time, or at least a 40, over 40% interest in DuPont, which was a huge amount of money. Unfortunately, like Dum Dum's, the, the son sold, sold it at some point so he could buy into, into M- Universal MCA, mm-hmm. which didn't work out very well for him. But anyway, like those two girls, they, they inherited like $200 million. So that was the kind of money that Nexium could draw on so they could have all these like nuisance lawsuits against people who left and were, you know, that they tried to shut up through and through I, intimidation. And I get that. Uh, I get that money doesn't buy happiness. Okay? I get. I get. I don't know, but it buys um, you a big enough boat that you can sail up real close to it, yeah. as David Lee Roth once observed. Yeah. Uh, but like, okay, you got two hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. What joy are they going to give you? <laughs> that, like, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just like. But that, that's the thing, though. You they they probably felt guilty to have that yeah, money maybe. that they didn't earn. They just got it. You know, so, so they want to do something good with it. So they're, they're like searching for something, you know, and, and, you know, and, but once again, you know, they're, we live, you know, we live in a culture that, you know, anything goes, you know, so there's no one who can say to you, like, if you go, oh, I'm going to go to this Nexium thing, very few people are going to go like, oh, that sounds dumb or whatever. They're going to be like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. You should let me know what it's like or whatever, you know? And so next thing you know, you don't see your friend anymore because they're living in, they're living in Albany, Albany, New York in a, in a commune. It wasn't really a commune. It was more like a collection of townhouses really close to each other. But, right. But yeah, it's... Uh, 
Yeah, everyone's everyone's hungry for something. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's hungry for something. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have or whatever. Everyone mm-hmm. wants. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how skeptical you are. We're all we're all vulnerable to. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing too. Is like often the uh, the most skeptical person is also a, an easy mark because uh, they they know the way that you're skeptical. Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. this has been going on for a long time. That's right. They know how to talk. They know how to talk you down from what you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but again, uh, I did have the advantage of there was no way I was going to be able to get five hundred dollars for a, <laughs> for a meeting like for a class at the end of the month. Because I couldn't, I couldn't pay my rent. Like, so don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to do this. I, I don't have access to that. If I had two hundred million dollars, oh boy, <laughs> I, uh, I'd be in some trouble. Well, yeah. Lucky, lucky. Count your blessings. Count two hundred million blessings. <laughs> that, that did not have that money on me. This isn't, by the way, to say that you shouldn't uh, contribute to our Patreon account. We, I will guarantee you, Dave and I will not join a cult with uh, our sneaky dragon Patreon. And also the tremendous amount of joy you'll feel. That's right. That's what I think. You know, yeah, you yeah. should think. That's of. Uh, think of that. Think of the joy that you will feel when you contribute to our Patreon account. And I mean, I guess I would just say that if it comes to the joy situation, mm-hmm. is like you know, try to like list three times in your life that you felt like you know amazing joy. You know, and not necessarily at like the big events. Not like mm. so. Um, you were not the, so not the birth of my children. I can't you know, count that be, as. It, exciting. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be your, your birth of your children or your wedding. Okay, listen, <laughs> we're taking we're taking those off the table. Because yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah, but like a time where you're just like, wow, I was just sitting on the beach, you know, yeah. with this person, and uh, and everything was just perfect. Or I was walking, and uh, all of a sudden I smelt the rain, and then the rain came. <laughs> And it was oh, just yeah. beautiful, or I just finished uh, uh, writing something, and it was like it was done, done. Or someone you got a surprise piece of mail from someone you didn't expect, and they said something that you know touched you. Yeah, it's just like what what brought you joy? I was like, okay, all right. So what led to that? What put you in the position that you were where that event occurred? Can you in any way replicate that? Not specifically, obviously, yeah. but just like. The type of thing that got you to that place where you were able to, you know, feel feel joy, and it's like maybe maybe you can do that again. Maybe there's something there. Sure. And perhaps perhaps not. Maybe like you know you've just been through a divorce and you're like, well, that's gone. You know. But like the, the, there might be something there might be something else. I don't know. Uh, I just don't think probably this uh, group is going to be uh, <laughs> the ones to do it for you. Probably not. No, I just. Uh, but also. Uh, maybe just a little bit of therapy might help too. Maybe yeah, I mean, it's, there, it's not always great, but yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. I wish you the best. Uh, don't join a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't join a cult. And it's also Please very hard to leave a cult. a cult as well. Yeah, you know that's the thing. It's like, <clears throat> and if you do join something, have an exit exit strategy and stick to. It. Yeah. And get other friends of yours around. I mean, this again was my benefit with going to this meeting was I brought you because. You had just been too, uh, you know, doing this encyclopedia salesmanship. Yeah. So you, you, uh, you know, knew the, mm-hmm, you know, this is how you sucker people in. Yeah. And the, the immediate thing they did was they separated. You know, we, we, we had to sit in between people that were uh, on oh, board. That's right. That's right. right. I that, about was, that. That, was, that was one trick was like they, they sat us, uh, you know, uh, spaced it out. So there was always someone leaning towards you going, that's it. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no. He's right, you know. 
Yeah, he's right, you know. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and it was, it was also the first time I'd ever seen an infomercial. Okay, okay. They brought out a TV and they had Werner Earhart. That's right. Uh, uh, on there, and it was it looked like a regular talk show, mm-hmm. and, but the, except the host was asking questions like, "So why is the forum good for everyone?" <laughs> I was like, hmm, "What is this show? What's the who's the musical guest tonight?" Uh, I was just thinking to myself, "What nonsense!" Yeah, and 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 then they you know they 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 make you answer the yes questions or the vulnerable questions or just like. Where would you like to be in your life? Where would you like to this? Where would you like to that? Mm-hmm. Tell the person next. Give them information about you. You know, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, yeah, they can see how uh, this. And then if you throw in, you know, sex, holy moly, uh, I did get flirty fished into uh, into that uh, meeting. You did. The person who, yeah, the person who recruited me was like really being flirty. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't on board with that, but. Um, they, they were they were uh, grinding those gears for sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That. <laughs> That's what I say. Black. Let me throw that out as a, as, a, as a question for our listeners. Have you ever had someone try to recruit you for something like that? Maybe not a straight-out cult, but like a group that you just went, wait a minute. This is, uh, hmm, hmm. Did you ever get, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone try to re- recruit you into something culty? Hmm. I mean, I was, uh, as I mentioned before, when I was working at the uh, comic store, the owner decided to try and start his own little, not cult, but it was a cult, mm-hmm. um, next door, where he would say to me, uh, listen, if any of the moms show up with the kids, uh, send them over my way, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and he had this little culty thing. And I was like, no, <laughs> kind of, I don't want, I'm not doing that at all. And I, I quit very shortly after. So they really crossed the line into uh, this is this is not good at all. And uh, I wish I knew what happened to that guy. Of course I know he got arrested. I'm sure um, <laughs> something bad. Maybe not. Maybe he's got a cult somewhere yeah. in somewhere in the interior. He's got a little uh, town that they bought. And well, that's conceivable. Thirty of them living there. And that is where to do it. That is where to do it. Don't do it in the big city. I mean, no. you're gonna you're gonna. Oh, your problem with doing it in the interior is. Uh, there are going to be some people with money because there are people that have a lot of money that move to the interior because they don't like folks. Um, so there's that. So this possibly you could get them. But unfortunately, when they get mad, they get mm, um, uh, burned down your placing. You know, they get <laughs> drive the truck through your homey yeah, uh, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, they don't. Uh, yeah, you end up <laughs> like vanishing in the woods. <laughs> Let's call the police and more, you know, you're feeding a bear. Yeah, there you go. You're feeding That's the interior of PC. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyway, uh, happy ninth anniversary. Oh, happy ninth anniversary! That was a good uh, first act of our show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're getting close to uh, letter time. Is that uh, is that okay with you, or do you have other topics and things to discuss? No, we can go to letter time. I think letter time. Uh, we'll see if I uh, if I tire my voice out, and I'll go uh, take it, Dave. We'll sure, see. that's fine. Now, and those of you that are just like, whoa, will Nina be reading them every week now? She was great. No, still me. <laughs> Nina was very good at this. Um, okay, so our questions last week were, uh, how do you feel about swearing? Are you a swear bear or a never indulge? Um, <laughs> and sub-question was, what's a movie that sounds like it could be a martial arts movie, but is not? Hmm. So our first letter was from our friend Louise, previously mentioned on this show. Uh, she writes and says, 
Uh, I think there, and I won't do that crazy voice for Louise that Nina does. I'll just do, I'll do this straight. Um, <laughs> sure. I, I think there's also a financial element to the term deadbeat dad. We did talk about deadbeat. As in, uh, the deadbeat dad refused to pay child support, so the government garnished his wages. Um, so, okay, yeah. Uh, we also ordered from Chong King. We talked about that uh, Chinese restaurant on occasion. Uh, the occasion being that there's a pandemic and we don't want to dine out at a restaurant in person. They have a super nice delivery guy. I agree. He's great. Uh, <laughs> when I was uh, a kid, our family went to the restaurant that used to be at that location. It was called the Renfrew Drive-In, which was weird because it was neither a drive-in nor was it on Renfrew Street. It is weird. It, it featured both a Western menu and that great North American cultural mashup, the Chinese smorgasbord. Oh, I love a Chinese smorgasbord. They had a cool Chinese dragon sculpture. Who didn't? And a taxidermy moose head on the wall. Mm. Um, someone once put sunglasses on its face and a cigarette in its mouth. Oh, it was funny enough to make orange crush come out of your nose, <laughs> which was creepy because I was drinking Sprite. <laughs> uh, I, I think and you go, this is where orange crush comes from. Um, I think swearing is okay, but I'd never be the first one to swear in a new social or business situation. Always read The Effin' Room, uh, a movie that sounds like it could be a martial arts movie, kicking and screaming. That's pretty much the action and dialogue directions in every martial arts script. <laughs> Very good. Next Very one good. is from our friend uh, uh, Regis. Uh, yes, F me, but I love swearing. There's something liberating. And I think uh, that's the main problem. It's all about morality and respectability. You should contain yourself. Behave yourself. Uh, one more time, we can see the social classes appearing. The upper class has the knowledge of how to use a different type of vocabulary regarding the situation and the purpose of what they say. The lower class are more down to earth and tend to express basic things in a basic manner. They call a cat a cat. Hey, <laughs> cat just weird. Uh, and do not tend uh, to create distraction with bodily function and some of its subsequent matters. <laughs> I was quite surprised to hear uh, that the Japanese do not have swearing because I know they have insults like baka or baka yaro, you idiot. But in ja uh, Japanese, you've got different levels of speech corresponding to different levels of politeness. A low level for family, children, and close friend. One high for strangers, college, and superiors. And one for important personalities. So the different, like, podcast app, I would say. I'm just throwing that. Um, so the differentiation of speech levels is part of the Japanese culture. And above all, you must behave and not show your feelings. Therefore, thereby, it's logical that it's impossible to... So, hmm. swearing or cursing. You swear an oath. And you say it for profanity. And the second one, there's a superstitious element. If you curse, you're putting a spell uh, to no one in particular, which is a very bad thing. It's bad luck for everyone. The same, do not swear outside a social ritual, the oath, because it is regularly associated with vengeance, as in, I swear to kill you, which is a bad thing, too. And two, uh, big commitments outside rituals are seen to be perjury in the making. You should stay reasonable at all costs. As for the vocabulary... I was always uh, amused by the constant uh, shifting in the English language, like shoot or the Hoover Dam of the Madagascar penguin. <laughs> I get you. Yeah, it's like you're almost saying the swear, but you're not. Uh, shiitake. Um, <laughs> uh, but it seems there is no such thing for the F word. Oh. Oh, there's lo I mean, we well, oh, we have like frick and frack. Yeah. yeah, fudge. Yeah, fudge would be one. Or fun, like fun. Yeah, like um, fun we will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, fire truck. Uh, but in fact, in French, uh, we have the same with God shifted Dieu to bleu, like in more bleu. 
Fableu, Sacré Bleu. For example, the first one is Mort de Dieu, God's Death. And you can find another form of uh, homophony in Franklin Gaston's La Gaffe uh, comics, where when Prunel is upset by you-know-who, he tends to cry something like, uh, Ranjou! The spelling varies, which translates into Nom de Dieu, Wun de Dieu, which literally, or should I say symbolically, God's name. And last, hmm. but not least, Canadians! Free one, <laughs> to Charles de Gaulle. Oh, Charles de Gaulle, you troublemaker. Uh, yeah, that's right. Charles de, who would win in a fight, Charles de Gaulle or Asterix? <sighs> oh, I'm going to give it to Asterix. Okay. Our, our American cousins of the beautiful province of uh, Quebec, who are religiously uh, vocabulary like tabernacle. Who are using religious vocabulary. Who are using religious vocabulary like tabernacle, Christ, Osti, and Calice. Uh, personally, I quite like... Uh, I didn't know there was so much French in this letter. Um, uh, <laughs> Bordel la cure le pompe à merde. I don't know if I can translate it. Okay. Otherwise, there's the equivalent of the F word is uh, putain, prostitute, not to write, uh, prostitute, not to write the the W word. I get you. Uh, best swearings have a few uh, syllabus-like orders in the military. Uh, that way are more efficient. As I watch a lot of American content, I tend to use the F word quite often. And the phrase F me as you in the beginning. But I like shoot too. And since uh, watching The Wire, I use Clay Davis's shit in <laughs> cases of uh, incredulity. The addition of Nina was a nice feature. And as always, keep up the good word fun. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. All right. I'm going to trade it over to you if you uh, if you want, Dave, for uh, maybe two letters. Oh, okay. Sure, sure, Dave, sure, are sure. Are you down with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, are you up for the challenge? I'm up for the challenge. So uh, the next one's Ed, right? Edward. Yes. Okay, so this is from Ed. Ed Draganski has written to us, and he says, I'm going to take off my glasses, actually. He says, I'll echo the sentiment. Wait a second, David. Yes. You're beautiful. Okay, good. Thank you. By the way, my favorite, my favorite uh, Second City sketch. Yeah. Just really quickly. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a boss and their secretary. Okay. It's like a 1960s sketch. So mm. Boss and a secretary. She's about to take dictation. And then she starts rubbing her eyes. Like, are you okay? Yeah. I just got to take out my contact lenses. She takes out her contact lenses. And then the boss goes, Miss Jensen, you're beautiful. <laughs> okay. Please continue. All right. So if I'm reading the wrong note, let me, I'm reading them off of, off of, out of my um, emails okay, rather is, than I'll the. I'll echo the sentiment. Yes. All right. I'll echo the sentiment. Of those who've honored comedian Sir Billy Connolly on the last episode, I've been keeping up with Connolly's well-being lately, and sadly, he's fighting a battle with Parkinson's disease. I sincerely hope we can see an end to these diseases that rob the brilliance and spark from our ability to perform, no matter what it is. Connolly announced his retirement from the stage just this month due to the decline he's experienced from Parkinson's. You see... Sir Billy Connolly and I have one connection in this world. We both share the same birthday, which is today, November 24th. Well, happy birthday. Happy belated birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I'll forever be connected with Connolly. Happy birthday to you. And I'll always think of him on this day. Happy birthday, dear Ed. So happy birthday to Sir Billy Connolly. Happy birthday to you. Keep fighting and thank you for all the years of brilliant laughter. And many more. And now we got a letter from Mick Ellie. You smell like one, two. (laughs) You smell like a more? A s'more. 
Mick Elliott writes. Smell like smell like Ellen Moore. Uh, Mick. He might smell very nice. Mick Elliott writes to say, "Hey, chaps, on the topic of swearing, I've had an ongoing debate for years about how strong the word turd is for everyday use. (laughs) I think it." That's a strange thing. Do you just, like, randomly debate strangers? I think it is closer to shit than poop, but many others disagree. Thoughts? Thoughts, Ian? Oh, my thought? Yeah. Uh, I think it seems like a very rural thing. It feels like, just call a person a turd. How you turd? <laughs> you turd. turd. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, <sighs> it seems like a very kid word. It feels turd. to... Okay, so to me, turd feels more... It's more shit-like than, to me, the word crap. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I said to someone, clean all this crap up in here, I mean in the sense of, like, junk. Yeah. Like, clean all this junk up in here. Like, like get all this garbage off the floor. Like, I'm not saying I think this stuff is shit or that it's literally shit. I just mean clean all this crap up. But I wouldn't say clean all these turds up off the floor. Like, that would be imply that someone's pooped all over the floor. Right. Uh, so I think that turd is closer to shit in that way, where I think, like, a word like crap is kind of interchangeable. That it could refer to, to um, you know that or it could just be like bad like a crappy situation you know what i mean yeah where you wouldn't have a turdy situation yeah it just feels like it's kind of the crap has kind of separated itself from that meaning you know like it's still like we still maybe call like a outhouse a crap house or whatever but but it just feels like it's just it's more common it's just easier to think of it as separate from that stuff you know like, I don't care about that crap. Like, you don't, you're not thinking like shit when you say that. You're just thinking, oh, I don't care about that nonsense or whatever. Junk, yeah. Um, he says, I'm not a massive swearer, but I picked up the term crap hound from, ob- from an obscure scene in the film Local Hero. Great film. And I find it is a fantastic, all-purpose, inoffensive curse. I think On Golden Pond sounds like a perfect martial arts movie. <laughs> Mick. Thank you, Mick. You old poop. <laughs> See, now you, it's got poop you old turd you old turd you old piece of fucking shit you old skid mark <laughs> do, you, do you want to read Louise's comment I will Catherine. As, as Catherine <laughs> the only person I know who the word turd is my mom as in a raccoon left a turd on a lawn I don't hear it very often as a personal insult more common would be, you piece of crap, or you piece of shit. I don't know, you're just a piece. <laughs> Maybe that makes you even less than the... Increasing order of coarseness, I'd say, doo-doo, turn, poo, crap, shit. I would disagree with that. I would put turd ahead of crap, and I'd also put turd in front of poop and poo. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> you're damn right. I'm leaving. <laughs> Good. Get out of here. I hope Spencer Tracy comes back. Uh, then Sarah Walsh <laughs> responds. Uh, and Sarah Walsh responds as Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> what is Sarah doing? to me. Louise's order seemed Louise ordered list seems right on target. He pulls a doo-doo, you pull a turd. He pulls a poop, you pull a crap. That's the shitty shit. <laughs> Not the best John Connery, but, you know, my throat's hurting a little bit. Well, it was funny. Okay. I thought it was funny. Now, but I, I love, I love, I don't know what it is. I love when people have poop or whatever in, there's a song that uh, 
David M. sings for, at Christmas time called a Gingerbread Calico Christmas. And it's basically just like describing this gingerbread calico Christmas, but intermixing it with someone who has stomach flu. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's just like, you know, steaming piles of poo, you know? So it's like, you know, like whatever, like ginger, doo doo, you know, all these kind of Christmas things, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever, snow on roofs or whatever, and then steaming piles of poo, you know, so it, just, <laughs> it kills me every time. Like, Lisa hates it because it's just poo, but, you know, me being a boy, I'm all <laughs> poo. Anyway. So uh, Chris Roberts then, right? I'll, I'll read. I'll, I'll keep reading for a while. Sure. Uh, a few films that could be martial arts movies, but aren't. Knives Out, Das Boot, Midnight Cowboy, and with just a little linguistic jiggery-pokery, The Violence of the Lambs, <laughs> It Happened One Fight, mm-hmm. Raging Bully, <laughs> and Schindler's Nice. Which, you know, is also a porn. Um, it's really tough when you get to the Schindler's List jokes. Turn on the you know, it's like It's like... It's like <laughs> It's, really tough. It's, it's a tough one. It's it, it again. It, it, it's where I, I go with uh, Sophie's Choice. Yeah. It's just like you know ah the joke's there. You gotta go with it. But Sophie's Choice. Have you seen the movie? I know, <laughs> but uh, I know. Have you seen Schindler's List? You really want to do a joke about? It? Yeah, you gotta. You gotta. So it's a, it's a joke. Yeah, you're uh, you're obliged to is the thing. Yeah. It's okay. in the con. It's in the contract. Yeah, and that's why we're now going to do my sketch Schindler's List. Here we go. Schindler's List. So, uh, list. <laughs> so anyway, I hate the Nazis. Um, Jada Jackman writes. Please, Jada, take me out of this. First, thanks uh, so much for the sticker. It looks really cool, Dave. Uh, just got it uh, since I shipped it to my parents' address. Oh, you're welcome. So, that's cool. Hey. Glad you got uh, it. Some- Similarly to Nina, I never curse. When I was young, I was definitely a super ruler follower type. You know the type that uh, would tell the teacher that they forgot homework? <laughs> I don't remember ever doing that, thank God. Uh, well, I definitely grew out of that phase. The not cursing thing stuck. I have also acted in several plays which required some cursed words to be said, but never anything too vulgar. Uh, I didn't uh, I actually didn't audition for a play because I knew the script was full of curses, in part uh, because it would have made me uncomfortable, but also because the play itself wasn't very funny or enjoyable. To- well, good for you, then. Don't, don't do something that's not funny. <laughs> yeah, don't do it if it's not fun. Um, several times in my life, people have been very shocked at my not cursing. Mm. They usually find out when I'm reading something out and censor the words. Most notably uh, was when a group of my friends and I were playing some game where we each added a word to a story. You had to recite the story perfectly, then add your word. Anyway... It's pretty obvious, but when it came to my turn, I skipped over the curse word. Uh, that would not do. No, my friends were stunned at the notion that I'd skipped over the word and saw an opportunity for a more fun game to get me to curse. <laughs> it was at this moment I realized uh, that after not cursing, I almost physically couldn't curse. It was very bizarre. After a couple of minutes of them begging me to curse and knowing uh, that they would only stop if I did so, I tried to, but it was like my brain didn't know how. I eventually did it but i really had to force myself to i'm glad that happened because i saw i had a legitimate fear of cursing which i don't think is too good anyway this story ends with no character development (laughs) still never curse but i try to be less harsh on myself now uh like uh, i accidentally read out a curse word anyway i just like to wish all the american listeners well hopefully your holiday is or was safe and still enjoyable it's a blessing in disguise for me i don't have to hear my relatives complain about Biden or rattle off conspiracy theories. Mm. Yep. 
Yeah. We're recording this on American Thanksgiving, so I am hoping uh, our American friends are, uh, you know, enjoying uh, enjoying themselves. And I hope everyone's enjoying themselves. Oh, is it Thanksgiving today? I didn't realize that. Yes. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes, and we're, uh, of course, releasing this on Saturday, so hope it was well. And uh, you know what? Best finish off that turkey. It's going to go bad. <laughs> okay. They, they have soup. a few days. Make yourself some soup. Well, how long can you keep tur- turkey in the fridge? Yeah, I don't know, a week or so. A week? Eh. I don't know. I don't know from a week. It's uh, fine. It's fine. No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to read the second Edward Dragansky one. You don't get to have one. Um, <laughs> okay, it's fine. I came from a family of swearaholics, mainly Italians, so I grew up around it, especially Dad in his car. His choice, his word of choice was. I'm going to try and uh, do it as uh, Mario because he said he was Italian. So let me just get this. <clears throat> a cocksucker! <laughs> One spicy cocksucker. It's a me, a Mario! <laughs> a cocksucker! <laughs> uh, this being the case, we weren't allowed to swear growing up. It kind of became tolerated with age. It's not uncommon for anyone to swear now in my immediate family. Even my mom does it, and she's pretty good. I had to cut back way back during my first marriage because my first wife was not the swearing type. She referred to swearing as wordy doors. <laughs> I know it sounds as annoying as it was. Uh, much of the uh, this behavior was because my kiddos were young and we were doing our best to set a good example. When I met my second and current wife, Susan, you'd have thought that she'd invented swearing. She was so good at it. So it's back on the table at our house now. <laughs> so I'll give you some context. If I were Indiana Jones, my first wife was Willie Scott in Temple of Doom. But I moved on now and married uh, Marion Ravenwood from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's about the most accurate description I can give uh, to describe the demeanor of wife number one and wife number two. Okay. My son will be 21 soon. Okay, I'm assuming he's short round. Um, <laughs> does not swear, nor does his girlfriend, who I'm assuming is the three of it. Um, yes, uh, stop, stop there. He doesn't mind hearing, yeah. He doesn't mind hearing it, uh, but it's just not in his nature to talk in such a way. Not like Nina describing her decision not to. Uh, my daughter lately swears if that's uh, a thing, and at the age of 24, can get a bit salty when she's trying to make a point. So I guess my first marriage paid off in a way, uh, and our decision to keep the language clean had uh, somewhat of an effect. Good on him. And uh, yeah, no offense to his girl. That was I just I was running short on female characters and. Raiders of the Lost Ark series. It kind of it really dries up fast. I'm thinking <laughs> of introducing the phrase dank farik to my vocabulary. It's been used in the Mandalorian as a type of swear word or phrase a few times. Maybe it's time to use it around the house for Well, let's find out what it means first. That's what I say. They're making sure you're not saying something just horrific. Um, I've always thought uh, some of the 007 films sounded very much like martial arts film titles, but not the titles uh, that are shorter and single words like Dr. No, Moonraker, or Spectre. Uh, live and let die, tomorrow never die, you only live twice, and die another day sound more along the lines of those dramatic martial arts film titles if you didn't know they were 007 films. I guess using operative words like live and die in those titles uh, sets a, kind of sets them uh, off, giving them a martial arts action. You think along those lines, I guess all the diehard films sound like martial arts films too, Unless you're already thinking of the brand of die-hard car batteries. <laughs> I've been advertising for 30 years, so uh, just shoot me in the fucking head. <laughs> Dank Ferrick! <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I feel yeah. like uh, the ones like Tomorrow Never Dies, You Only Live Twice, and uh, those ones, those are because they're they're book titles. Uh, yeah. Those look good on a, on a if, you, if you're just like at the airport and you're looking for a book, even if you don't know, you know if you don't know James Bond, just like ah, that sounds great. I'm gonna I'll read that. Live and Let Die. Yeah. You know, but if it's something like you know Spectre, well, what's that? Doctor No. Hmm, that sounds negative. I don't want that. Uh, but yeah, it's a good common interest grabber. Uh, I'll throw it back <laughs> to you, Dave, for Sarah Walsh's letter, if that's okay. Sure, sure, sure. Um, let me just, oop, one second here. Sure so thing. Sarah, um, she says in all caps, I got my sticker, I got my sticker. <laughs> I actually got it weeks ago, but I'm not so good at commenting in a timely manner. It is currently residing on my refrigerator until I find a more permanent place. I was a pretty hardcore non-swearer until well after high school. I didn't have any issues at all with other people swearing, but I never liked attention, especially negative attention. So the two very memorable occasions when I said a mild swear word like crap or bastard made me avoid it in any setting. After high school, I started feeling like not swearing drew more attention, which I didn't like, but I was stuck. If I started swearing around people who knew me, they'd be shocked and then get that moment of negative attention. Around age 23, I had a major and ultimately permanent falling out with my best friend from high school. She fed my rat to her snake, but that's a story for another time. Well, that's terrible. It's terrible that you had a falling out, and it's also terrible that she... Yeah, it's awful all around. And all my other friends had dispersed or generally grown apart from me. Even my band had broken up. I was essentially out of friends. So I got in contact with an acquaintance from the local music scene and asked if I could borrow some of his friends for a while. He said, sure. That's a very strange request. <laughs> he said, sure, come to the coffee bean any night. We're always outside at the back table. So I did. And although it was scary and awkward at first, they welcomed me in and it turned out to be fairly successful. And as an added bonus, none of these people, except the one who didn't know me very well, knew I didn't swear. So I swore, not excessively, <laughs> just naturally in conversation as the need or opportunity arose. And that was that. Except that I still find it extremely difficult, usually impossible, to swear in front of my parents or, and, sorry, or, uh, in front of my parents or any of their friends who have known me since I was a kid. It seems silly. I turned 40 a few months ago. <laughs> Happy belated birthday. Happy and birthday. I, and I still can't swear in front of my parents. Maybe I should emerge from the pandemic swearing freely and blame it on isolation insanity. Yeah. There you go. There you There. Yes. That's yes, a good idea. Indeed. I think you should. Do you uh, want me? You're gonna read the next one, or do you want me to yeah, read? I'll read, I'll read Peter. Okay, Peters. that's fine. Uh, Peter Aries, Ares. You just say. I think you just say Peter Ares. Ares. Peter, Peter Ares. Oh, Ares. That makes sense. Oh, Elta. Elta Ares is. Um, <laughs> he is human. You're very right to say that. Uh, yeah, very few non-humans. Yeah. I got a letter from a monolith. A well, anyway. we, actually, we get we do get a lot of we do get a lot of robots writing to us, but they all end up in our spam folder. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, peeps. Really interested, interesting to hear <laughs> Nina's take on the no swears. In a culture such as ours, where swearing is used so freely, not to swear is an almost artistic constraint. And I applaud her for sticking to her principles. Fucking Super right. Eight. Yay, fucking A. Woo! <laughs> um, swearing in other cultures is fascinating. In Hindi, you might call someone Sala, or brother-in-law, a terrible insult, implying you've been sleeping with their sister. Meanwhile, uh, What if you actually Eric, are the brother-in-law? Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
Meanwhile, Arabic has long and complicated curses involving animals. Mm. Over in Germany, there's a charming list of deliberately pathetic compound <laughs> insults, including Shade Parker, Jim Kit Forgetter, <laughs> Telly Tubby Waver Backer, and the all-time great Sitz Pinkler, a gentleman who sits down, pee. Oh. I just, I just want to comment on the fact that it's considered pathetic to, to park your car in the shade. That seems mm-hmm. odd to me. I assume that's what that means that you're you're taking the trouble to find a, a a leafed a leafy area to park your car so it doesn't get sun damaged. Yeah. Well, you're going somewhere dark because you're going to pee. It's an ex- it's an expensive sitting down. It's an expensive investment though. Your car, like you should take care of it. Yeah. Also, by the way, sitting to pee is just giving yourself a little treat. Give yourself a break. Uh, um, not a fan. Well, no one's asking. You don't have to. You know. Uh, back in the <laughs> too West, late. Back in the West, the TV show. Uh, Deadwood features perhaps the most joyous swearing of the last 20 years. Uh, this was deliberately, uh, and it, oh, I'm bad with this word. What's the word? Anachristic? An- anachronistic. Anachronistic. There you go. As the writers uh, knew uh, that era-appropriate blasphemy would have sounded tame to modern ears, so swapped them out in favor of sexual swear words. As it happens, the rudest word of today's secular society could be seen as a sort of blasphemy against the origin of the world. Ruled, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, acknowledging and reinforcing its power. Hmm. Now, some films. That's very true. Any film with a number in the title instantly a kung fu flip, such as The Seven Faces of Dr. Lao, hmm? Five Thousand Fingers of Dr. T, Love it. The Coins in the Fountain, Five Easy Pieces, except hmm. 101 Dalmatians. That's true. There are a lot of... Uh, there's one film, it's called like... Eight diagram pole fighter or some weird name like that. It's just it's a very very bizarre. Uh, they do like their numbers. That's what I'm saying. Now Peter's gotten a side for us, and we don't have much cotton to a sides around here. But okay. <laughs> but it's, you know what? It's Thanksgiving. I think we can have an we can have an aside. That's that's the show peaking. You just heard it. Um, as an aside, I would love to recommend a marvelous pair of 80s kung fu films that combine peaking opera gags. Oh, speaking with, of peaking. There you go. With peerless choreography of the Yuan clan. Hmm. Yuan clan. Miracle Fighters tells the story. Miracle Fighters, I love it, tells the story of a young man falling in love with feuding Taoist wizards. While Shaolin. Do you say falling in love with? Well, falling in with. <laughs> <laughs> I like my version better. Apparently you do. It was just trying to get Taoist right. Oh, okay. And so I, I threw love in there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. You know what? You're, uh, you're looking for love in all the wrong places, sir. Whilst Shaolin drunkard mm. follows a drunken priest uh, falling in love with a vampire. Nope, nope. Sorry. Follows a drunken priest battling a sort of vampire. Both films are remarkably silly labors of love. Oh, there's where the love was. Uh, with uh, oodles of brilliant ideas glued together by skilled choreography and cinematography. Oh, that sounds really uh, really good. Peter is kind enough to send us a link there. So if you go to the Sneaky Dragon page, you will see the link there that you can link and then link your way to see more about those. Hmm. So link it up. Cool. Linkies. Cool. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite... Um... Favorite to Hong Kong films. I don't know if it's a Hong Kong film, but what, Chinese cinema is uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Chan. What's his name? Did I say his name wrong? Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow is. Um, okay, I was thinking about the guy from uh, from Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my favorite Chow film by him is not those movies that you just named, but mm-hmm. an earlier one called Forbidden City Cop, 
which is just yeah. a, a great parody of of uh it takes place in like you know uh historic china you know like during the whatever whatever that you know the manchurian time or whatever they they the time period they left to to uh to do all their shaolin stuff in but um yeah it's really really very good film called forbidden city cop check it out <laughs> We got so, a, we got uh, a cat back. He's agreeing with me, saying Dave's right, no, right. Not taking no for an answer. Dave, you're so right. I know. He's here's the thing. I'm also doing a podcast with him. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize at the same time. Yeah, it's just like get yeah. on with it. We've got to do ours. Well, I yeah, like... we're, we're reviewing all the uh, cat-based movies. Uh, okay. Uh, cat from outer space. We're doing tonight. How about that darn cat? Have you done yeah, that one? Yeah, that darn cat will be. Uh, will be. Yeah. Then we're gonna do cats uh, the week after that. So. We're just going to keep going down the list for as long as we can. Kiki's Delivery Service, because it's got a cat predominantly. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I, think, I, think, uh, I think my cat's problem is when uh, you start talking. I think uh, <laughs> it's fine when I'm talking, but as soon as you start, he's uh, objecting. He gets mad? Yeah, he goes like, let him talk. He's <laughs> like, oh, got things to say. <laughs> All right, I've got a couple of emails to read. Okay, please do. So I'm going to read an email from Brent Tannehill, and Brent wrote to say, Until Trump became president, I would rarely swear, and almost always under my breath. I feel that using swear words sparingly puts more emphasis on your anger than if you were to swear all the time for no reason. Trump changed all that, when every morning my wife and I would wake up to some new horrible thing that he had did or said. Now that the effort is almost gone, or that to say, now that the fucker is almost gone, we have decided that it's time to become civil once again. Dang it. Ding dang it. <laughs> um, Kanan Grawl wrote to say, he says, hey, Dave. Hey, Ian. And reverse hey. it for fairness. Hey, Ian. Hey, Dave. Hey. I have a few disappointing martial arts movie titles for you. Firstly, being that amazing movie, you know the one, It's So Cool, where this guy just cuts a swath through an endless barrage of underlings, just slicing and dicing, trying to get the main bad guy, but he simply has too many loyal followers, and the hero is buried in a piling avalanche of swinging, hacking bodies and blood and limbs. There's gore and spittle getting in his eyeballs, and he's crying, and it's hopeless, but in the end he remembers his breathing, his training. It's called Minions. Others... (laughs) Others might be, forgetting everything you know about these movies, of course, Edward Scissorhands, Napoleon Dynamite, Superbad, There Will Be Blood, this is my favorite one, The Barefoot Executive, M.A.S.H., and Footloose. In, ter- Hi, yeah, good one. in terms of misleading movie titles, though, I always wondered how disappointed everyone was coming out of that Guy Ritchie, Brad Pitt film, Snatch. And speaking of <laughs> swearing, we are bringing up a seven-year-old boy. Nuff said, well, no, not enough. The problem is, I'm not much of a swearer, but my wife couldn't give a shit. I am in favor of swearing purely for comedic reasons. Anyway, our son has taken to swearing all the live long day. Unfortunately, thanks to my wife's interference, or lack thereof, he will drop the F word more than he says please, thank you, or a simple greeting. Usually the MF word if he's feeling particularly joyous. It drives me bonkers, and I'm trying to get him to stop. But it's a battle I'm fighting on my own, as my wife just reinforces the go-nuts-but-only-at-home style of parenting, which is fine, and I default to that too, as it's how I was raised, and I don't swear, so I guess it works. I still mainly try and get him to use it for comedy, though. For example, he only just turned seven last week, at home, with no one else, because COVID, but he was opening all his birthday cards with lovely messages from 
grandparents and godparents of how special he is and how smart and so on and so on. Then he got to our card and we gave him one with a singing chihuahua on it. And inside it simply read, hey, Elias, happy seventh fucking birthday. Love (laughs) mom and dad. And he just about threw his head into a wall backwards laughing. We could have saved on a present because he gave a shit about nothing else after that. Comedy, swearing, a match made in heaven. Now, if I may, I would like to answer last week's questions too, because I'm not always up on my listening. So quickly, sexy cartoon characters? Heck yes! Why am I a cartoonist now? Best not to look too deeply into that, I guess. Moving on. No, I second the mentions of Penelope Pitstop, but I will add Debbie from the Speed Buggy cartoon. Flares are where it's at. You know what? I love women wearing flares, too. I'm with you on that one. (laughs) It's true. Flares lengthen their legs. All right. But I think as a young boy, I was a victim to the the panty shot you guys talked about with Nina last week. Or this week, sorry. Particularly from Astro Boy's sister, Uran, and from the Chipettes in the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. These are (laughs) kids! But damned if I haven't forgotten it, so I guess they knew what they were doing. And hey, I was 10 at the time. It's only weird to talk about it now. And boy... RC in the Transformer movie, the animated one, is one hot robot car lady. Also, I know Velma is the girl with the nerd cred. I got my nerd fix from Penny on Inspector Gadget. But Daphne is just hotter. Besides, I just like pink and purple more. Just like the pink we got on the princess from the Battle of the Planets, or Gotcha Man, whatever you want to call it. And I said this is something I shouldn't get into, but there was a serious underrepresentation on this question. So I'm overcompensating with big words, apparently, but I will make my last one my most obscure with Futura from the Filmation Ghostbusters series. Oh, yeah, my my mother-in-law bought this Ghostbusters tape at, at, a, at a thrift store here for the kids to watch when they were little, and it was that bargain basement Ghostbusters. Uh, no doubt your Australian listeners, if they're around, the same age as me, will know who I mean. I'm looking. Also, okay, gotcha. Also, Elastigirl has completely replaced Jessica Rabbit as alpha female on the heart cartoon character list, no? But to so many kids, I say this like my seven-year-old doesn't look up most horrible images on Google before breakfast, they're just not going to know why. All the 10 to 12-year-olds watching The Incredibles today are like, Violet's closer to my age, but I should like her, but, 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 B-U-T-T, he spells it. Lastly, stand-up comedy I liked as a kid, I'm talking teenager here. We didn't have a lot of stand-up comedy in Australia when I was little, apart from my dad having those ubiquitous Cosby records. Something about Noah's Ark? So I guess they're not traditional stand-ups, but I recorded copies of Robin Williams live at the Met, more a comedic actor, and Rowan Atkinson live, and wore those tapes down until both were more snow than show. I'm sure everyone's seen the Robin Williams one, but the Rowan Atkinson one, but sorry, but if the Rowan Atkinson one passed you by, I recommend finding it. I'm sure it's all on YouTube in bits. I particularly enjoyed the roll call skit, where all the kids' names are double entendres, and the day in the life of the Invisible Man skit. A little more bean than Atkinson, though, that one. Sorry it's so long, fellas. It's COVID. We're all stuck at home. We're lonely. And my main companion won't stop swearing at me, so I turn to you. Cheers, Kanan. Well, thank you very much, Kanan. And then there's one more from Brent Tannehill again. He says, one more thing. Here's a podcast that I listened to a while ago that talks about how swearing can help you withstand pain and make you stronger, too. I doubt if this works for people who swear constantly dot 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 this superpower is for those of us who wait for special occasions 
Brent Downhill, and he sent he sent a link which I will uh, I'll post on the site when I put okay. the show up, so people will have that. And let me just say one more thing. I'm just going to go look. Um, just going to go down here, and uh, I guess because I had sub- I had said something about Ding Dang, um, <laughs> one of our one of our listeners, Jonathan Bampton, two time winner of our question. Anyway, uh, he sent a <laughs> he sent he sent the Beach Boys singing Ding Dang from the album Beach Boys Love You, which I I do love that song. So I'm glad he sent it to me. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And there you go, everyone. That is all. That is all I'm going to say. So, uh, I have one more question. Okay. So, Ian, your question was, have you ever been recruited or have people ever attempted to recruit you to a cult? Was that what it was? Something, something culty. Did you, sorry, have, have you ever felt like you were being recruited for something culty? How's that sound yeah, for a question? Sounds good. And then my question was, I was kind of talking the neg- negatives about parents, but my question this time is, um, um, tell us about a valuable lesson you learn from your parents. Uh-huh. And uh, to do that, everyone, you may do so in the following ways. You can go to our website. It's called Sneaky Dragon, sneakydragon.com. There you will find our show. There you will find a space underneath our show to write comments. And you are welcome to comment there. And Ian will read your comments in a hilarious manner. Uh, you can also contact us uh, via email if you're a private type. And that is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. I appreciate those coming because then I get to read them on the air. And then um, we are on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. We are on... Um, oh, and I have a Twitter thing I want to talk about, but I'll just finish this. We're on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon. And we have a Patreon, as we were saying earlier in the show, called Sneaky Dragon. You can go there and you can support the show. And uh, the reason... I was just going to bring one more thing, which is that um, uh, he wrote in last uh, last show, Ferg, and... We had a little bit of a... What's going on here now? I've Anyway, just got to get back into my phone. He... Um, oh, shoot. He wrote wrote on Twitter about... Um, I guess he was talking about reading Asterix. And I got all excited, of course. Because it was funny. I'd been talking about Asterix at work that day. So that made me like get extra excited that he had posted this picture of the book. And so I, I said, I was droolingly discussing these books at work today. And then Ferg wrote back to say, I think for me... Not having read them as a kid alongside Tintin is a detriment. I read the first one and didn't enjoy it much. I will read the next two in the book I got from the library, though. So it looks like he got an omnibus book. I'm just going to look at the uh, back at the hmm, my phone's not letting me uh, back at the original um, the original post, and it had a picture of this Asterix books, but it's an Asterix omnibus that has Asterix the Gaul, Asterix and the Golden Sickle, and Asterix and the Goths, and <clears throat> And the one thing I would say that's sort of negative about those books that you chose, Ferg, is that they're all like the first three books in the series. So you're kind of getting them, just kind of getting, you know, everything kind of tickety-boo in terms of getting the characters in order. You, Durzo's drawing hadn't really like hit his full stride of like how great it would be. And um, I'm just going to reach over onto my bookshelves here where I have some, some Asterix books. Because I just want to look down the list of them and, and I want to recommend... Ones that I think that are very good and I think that you would enjoy. And the first one of that would be Asterix and the Mansion of the Gods, or Mansions of the Gods, which is a great, a great story of where um, the Romans decide to, to develop a housing uh, near the, the Gaulish village, and it's very good. And then Asterix the Legionary is also really good, where he, um, he and Obelix join the Roman Legion in order to, to save someone. And it's just full of great, great gags. 
And um, do you have one indeed to recommend, Ian? One that you like a lot? I like the Cleopatra. Okay, Asterix and Cleopatra. I was thinking that one too. That's very good as well. And another one I like a lot is uh, Asterix uh, in Switzerland or in. Which yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. That's a sure. that's a lot of fun too. I love so that cover, that's a great cover with these. Yeah, yeah, them in the kind of vault. Uh, so yeah, I think if you um, if you try those ones for you might you might find them a bit a bit better because they are um, a little later on and and Uderzo's in like full flight. Like his drawings, his drawings in Mansion of the Gods are just amazing. Uh, the color and the art is just great in those, and the stories are a bit bit more sophisticated, a little bit a little bit more. Kind of, they know the characters, they know what they're doing, and they just know how to make it all sing. So I would advise trying like those ones. Like, like I didn't read like Asterix the Goth and or and, and stuff until I had already read a lot of the uh, later ones, and so I could kind of deal with with the you know how kind of you know the fact that the characters were still they were drawn in a slightly different way and he hadn't quite got like the whole the whole thing wasn't quite together as a package yet. So but I would I would recommend sort of maybe moving up a little bit and not starting at the beginning. I know that's the temptation when you read comics to yeah. to always start at the beginning, but I don't think it always works. I think sometimes this come in the sometime in the middle is also good and I think the asterisks you'd find find more there. So I mean all by all means read through what you have there, but if you still don't like it, I don't give up. Like maybe try some of those one or two of those other books if you can find them and and, and give those a try and and see what you think of them because I, I do think they're a lot they're they're much better more rewarding to read those all right that's all i wanted to say there you go end there of public do. service announcement dum, dum, dum. so everyone thank you for listening to our fantastic show it's one of the <laughs> best shows you've ever heard we've been doing it for nine years now i think that we couldn't get any better at doing it we've reached like a peak that we'll never surpass it's probably all downhill from here now to be honest yep, with you for sure but anyway, please join us on our downhill journey. We'll be back next week, and we look forward to seeing, hearing, and hearing of you then. All right. Don't, uh, don't take any wood do, nickels. Don't do anything <laughs> dangerous, and uh, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, y'all. Oh, I can't whistle. <laughs> Thank you.